Hi, and welcome to Sepa Stories. So I wanted to start off by first saying thank you to a Sepa Story supporter, uh, Katie Salter. Thank you so much for becoming a member of the Sepa Story uh, podcast and contributing and supporting this. I cannot thank you enough. Um, I have such gratitude. Um, it makes me feel like we are doing the right thing and getting these wonderful stories out. So thank you for uh, being in support of this podcast. It's, it means the world to me. I have such gratitude. Um, okay, I wanted to kind of dive in to a really special story. And I want to give you a little bit of preface um, about what I'm about to read. Now, this is probably one of the longest fan fiction pieces I've read yet. This has multiple chapters. Um, this was published, it looks like, or reposted on or around June the 11th. And I actually pulled the story down from archive of our own. The writer's pen name is Trink is Me, and it's T-R-I-N-K, is, I-S, and then me, M-E, all one word, Trink is Me. The story that I am about to read is titled Life Debt, and I read the story, and like I said, this is a, a pretty large one, so we'll be taking multiple breaks. Um in listening to this particular episode, but I wanted to actually read part of the author's note and then and then just kind of share with you some information. So, author's note. I pulled down the story on fanfiction and AO3 because I wanted to rework a few parts of it, but due to my increasing involvement as a caregiver to my husband, who is, by the way, the inspiration for this story. I don't know when I'll be able to complete the updates. Uh, the author is saying that she is posting the entirety of the story here, just as it was originally um, initially posted. And then the writer goes on to say, maybe one day I'll be able to finish the changes. And so when I saw this, I was like, oh, you know, yeah, okay. And I reached out to the writer because I love the story so much. And I really was super excited to see if I could share this with you in, in an episode or a rather long episode. And the writer did mention that um, her husband, who is her best friend and, and hero, is facing some pretty serious medical issues. And, and I know that it must be so incredibly difficult to, to be going through such such a hard time um, especially with everything going on in the world already you know things things are so stressful and to have your best friend or, or your hero be in you know in, in a pretty serious medical condition I, I can't imagine carrying that that kind of burden and so I am asking friends and followers uh, writers and our listeners to send your positive thoughts um, your prayers your your good karma to Trink is me and to her husband who is the inspiration for the story that I am about to read and thank you Trink is me for allowing me to read this story I hope I can do it justice and I hope that you really enjoy this reading um, okay so 
we talked a little bit about about that and I want to go on about some details of the story before I dive in and, and to me this is this is really a special read for me knowing you know the background behind this so kind of bear with me <laughs> trying to get this launched for you all right so I do want to give a mature reader's notice there will be a sexual content in this particular story it's not gratuitous but this may not be suitable for younger listeners this is for mature audiences only and actually when you read the story and you pull it down on archive of our own you do have to um, of course on your cell phone or on your pad or your digital media you do have to click that you are agreeing to proceed into a story that does contain mature content so in that same way I am notifying you that there is um, going to be elements of romance hurt comfort physical disability there is some violence there is sexual content and mature and adult theming so you have been warned if this is not for you um, this would be the time to skip this story and go on to the next and we would read something you know that would be less less not explicit but less mature in content okay so life debt there isn't a summary on this but this is a Draco and Hermione pairing and I think you're gonna love it so let's get started life debt by trink is me trink is me and we're going to start with chapter one we will begin now chapter one funny how one second of nothing could change everything Draco could never figure out what possessed him to behave the way he had on that fateful day he wasn't normally impulsive, yet his actions had not been premeditated either. He had felt neither hot nor cold, apparently just the right temperature needed to perform heroic acts of bravery. But that's what he'd been. Brave, heroic, and a bleeding fool. In a single moment of uncharacteristic selflessness, Draco canceled out everything he'd ever done in his life. With one act, he altered the course of his future and the course of hers. It had been during the Battle of Hogwarts, in the heat of combat. A miracle had already occurred. Harry Potter had somehow beaten death a second time and was in the thick of the fray, fighting through Death Eaters in his attempts to reach the most evil wizard of all time and finish his business with him. Around the grounds were lifeless bodies sprinkled across the courtyard, much like raisins atop a bowl of oatmeal. Dancing around the corpses, order members were busy fighting valiantly to bring an end to the reign of terror. Draco watched with bated breath as Molly Weasley stepped up to take on his demonic aunt. Their duel was fierce, deadly. Draco had never imagined the matronly witch having such speed and skill. He saw her deliver the final blow on Bellatrix. Draco sighed with relief, but his comfort was short-lived. Something to the side drew his attention. His own father was dueling Hermione Granger. Draco groaned. He knew the feisty witch was no match against the more experienced wizard. Lucius was easily gaining ground on the Muggleborn. 
Draco had practiced enough with the elder Malfoy to know his moves, and thereby his next action he knew when his father flicked his wrist in a slashing fashion. He takes the, the witch with an extremely powerful curse. Without stopping to think of the consequences, Draco shoved Granger aside right before the spell reached her and was hit instead. The pain of a thousand crucios struck him with the force of a runaway night bus. So overwhelming was the agony, it overwhelmed his magic. His brain could not possess or process the volume of screams coming from his own nervous system. It began to shut down. The last thing Draco saw before the curtain of night overtook him was the look of utter despair on his father's face. So, that's it for me, was his final thought, just as well. His life had been doomed anyway. He knew better than to hope. No bright future awaited anyone branded with darkness. For a time, it looked like he might be right. Death and life fought over his body, both claiming ownership. Destruction seemed the stronger of the two. It closed in to assert its victory. But Providence had other ideas. Following the battle, Draco remained unchanged for the next two weeks, drifting along on a sea of magical pain spells and muggle morphine. Occasionally he roused to a limited awareness. During that time his senses played peekaboo with his consciousness. The first sense that broke through to his mind was hearing. A few days after he was hit, Draco surfaced and slowly registered the sound of sniffing and whispers coming from somewhere close by. How could you? A familiar voice accused, a normally soft voice filled with the thick sound of tears and heartbreak. How the devil was I to know he would do that? responded the equally tortured sound of the male voice belonging to his father, Lucius. His father, his childhood hero, his constant North Star, his mentor and inspiration, his attacker. The reason, the reason why I'm in well, whatever shape I'm in, Draco couldn't remember a time his father had ever sounded so defeated before, even including the past year when the Dark Lord stripped the elder Malfoy of his wand, his hope, and pride. His mother, however, cared little for her husband's misfortunes, brought on by his own poor choices. All her concern was focused on her son. But why? She was just a girl, a classmate of Draco's. She was no threat to you. Draco heard his mother release a tiny whimper, sounding much like a hurt puppy. You knew what that spell would do. Sissa. I swore in my wand I never imagined. Lucius's voice faded out as oblivion rose up to take Draco hostage. The next time he awakened, the sense of touch joined his hearing and being responsive. Someone was gently holding his hand while also rubbing it softly. It felt nice. Oh, me on my own. How can you stand that? Stand what? Touching the filthy ferret. 
The voice was familiar, but Draco couldn't recall why. He desperately tried to get his sluggish mind to cooperate. He knew he had heard it before. Something about it brought to mind memories of the great hall at Hogwarts. Food. Freckles. Then it came to him. The person holding his hand was Granger, and the person who called him a ferret was Weaselby. Of course. But why was the ginger menace visiting him? Why was she... He tried to pull his hand out of her grasp, but there seemed to be a disconnect between his brain and his muscles. He tried to open his eyes. The same thing happened. Nothing. It dawned on Draco that he was essentially paralyzed. His body wasn't responding to any mental command. He felt a growing panic steal over him. Within his own body, he was trapped, a prisoner. Feeling a sudden helpless terror, he willed himself to move. A pitiful moan filled the room. Draco didn't know it had come from him and had been his response to the pain incurred in his attempt at movement. Oh, Granger's voice quivered with undisguised compassion. He's hurting, Ron. Go fetch the pity witch. Ron snorted. Why should I? He's probably just faking. Draco couldn't see it but he could sense Hermione's hair bristling in fury at her stubborn friend's refusal to cooperate. He heard it when she huffed, Ronald, now! In spite of the electrical shocks coursing through him, slicing through his nerves as if they were warm sticks of butter, Draco noticed when the weasel obeyed. He sulked off, stomping, his heavy-sounding footsteps showing his rebelliousness and blatant disapproval of Hermione's request. Then the door slammed shut. For the space of a few heartbeats, there was silence. Then a sigh. Granger spoke again. He can be such an ass. A mill chuckle followed. Hermione's joined it. A moment later, soft fingertips began to caress Draco's wrist. Look at him, she whispered softly. Draco felt the fingertips leave his wrist to comb through his hair. If he hadn't pushed me away, she choked, then gave Draco's cheek a gentle caress. This would have been me, Harry. So it was Potter who had laughed. I know, poor sod. His former enemy spoke commiseratingly. Draco felt a large hand join the smaller to cradle the crown of his head. Oh, blast. He'd forgotten the Gryffindor tendency to show affection. Potter better not be trying to hug me. I really do feel badly for him. He has to be in agony. Do, do you think he realized what spell his father cast? He had to have. It being his father and all. Not exactly, thought Draco, just that it was a dark one. He desperately wished they would speak it. Then at least he would know what he was up against. I feel terrible. I misjudged him badly. We all did. Me, most of all. So the golden trio had come to check on him. Draco couldn't fathom it. Then a sudden realization hit him. The boy who lived must have defeated the Dark Lord. Could it really be possible? 
Draco had seen so much carnage, so much death, so much evil, he was scared to hope. This must be a dream, he finally concluded. A few moments later, in fact, Draco didn't hear Ron returning with the nurse. He didn't know she had cast a spell to put him temporarily out of his misery. All he knew was that he had once more succumbed to the pool of sleep and was now adrift in a dream filled with nonsensical images of him dressed in white and Granger in green. In the background, Potter was singing while he and the Muggleborn waltzed in a ballroom filled with red-headed waiters throwing champagne on anyone who came close to them. When he was finally able to open his eyes, Draco was by himself. Blearily looking around, he noticed the white walls, the sterile environment, St. Mungo's then. He tried to stretch and immediately regretted it. A stifled scream slipped past his lips. The pain was incredible. His heart began to race. Unknown to him, the instruments taped to his body alerted the staff to his distress. Only a few moments passed before a healer and a midi-witch barged into his room. Draco stared at them pleadingly, his eyes filled with anguish. What's wrong with me? he croaked his voice raspy from disuse. The Midowitch ignored him, being too intent on retrieving the correct vials of potions stored in the cabinet beside the bed, but the healer, an older wizard, with a kind, weathered face, answered, You are recovering from the effects of a curse, the likes we haven't seen in over a century. Stay still. We have something for your discomfort. Draco grunted. Staying still was something he would surely do, as the slightest movement was causing him agony. The nurse turned around, her hands full of vials gleaming with a substance that reminded Draco of moonstones and white opals. The sheen of the liquid was luminescent and otherworldly. Here you go, she said in an attempt at a motherly voice, but when she tried to raise Draco a bit so that he could take the medicine, he moaned, the pain acute. Hazel, let me, the healer instructed. Taking the potion from her, he waved his wand to raise the head of the bed a few degrees. Then he tilted the vial to Draco's lips. The weakened blonde struggled to swallow the bitter drops, but the healer, gently massaging his throat, helped him finish the task. To Draco, the fluid tasted like a cross between a milk punch and something tingling, as if a bolt of lightning had been condensed into liquid form. It was soothing and refreshing and wild. The hairs on his body rose. Draco felt goosebumps all over. The pain began to recede. He sighed, feeling of relaxation, a feeling of relaxation overtaking him. <laughs> that was great, he slurred. And that's why it's a controlled substance, the healer muttered. The Mediwitch grinned. Witch Hazel, we may need to put a seek-me-not charm on these potions. Mr. Malfoy will have enough to overcome without adding an addiction to the list. Yes, Healer Robbins. The older man sighed, his large frame heaving slightly. His kind heart was weighed down by the knowledge of what his newest patient was facing. 
a future filled with fevers, weakness, and pain. So young to be so disadvantaged, life wasn't fair. Young lads such as Mr. Malfoy being forced to fight in wars others created, older men who had nothing better to do than to sacrifice their young in the flames of their overwhelming pride, such senseless, needless misery. It made Robins mad. What was worse was the careless regard in reintroducing a curse like the one Draco was suffering from. The older healer shuddered. It recalled to him the ancient wars, of a more primitive time when muggles were attuned to the elements, a time when they knew the secrets of the earth and could call forth its powers for life and for death. The wizarding world was not as advantaged then. The playing ground was more even. One muggle proved that quite well. Ram's Revenge The curse supposedly created by the fabled muggle king and retribution against the infamous sorceress, Ardeth the Attercop, a hex later copied and made more lethal by wizards down through the ages. Muggles had different names for Draco's condition, Myothen. Myopathy, neomuscular disease, Parkinson's, multiple sclerosis, and many more. Some were worse than others, some with additional symptoms. But for Mr. Malfoy, the prognosis would be the same. He would be afflicted, disabled, a cripple. What's that strange-sounding word the muggles used? Taylor Robbins paused to recollect. Oh, yes, he remembered it now. Handicap. Chapter 2 Two months later, Draco huffed, irritated with himself. His former fluid gait had been reduced to an unsteady shuffle. He held on to the walker as he made his way to the kitchen. The middle device was a strange muggle contraption, but it did help him keep his balance. Still, he chafed at the necessity of having to use it. "'although he much preferred it to the wheelchair he'd had at the hospital. "'I look like a drunken giant,' he groused to himself. "'If I were any slower, I'd be a snail.' "'Healer Robbins said he would have to be patient. "'He assured Draco that he had made great progress "'since he was admitted to St. Mungo's mostly dead. "'But it was hard. "'Tasks that had taken no time to perform before "'were now arduous and difficult.' Despite what his mother said, not everything could be done with magic. Still, he managed. Some days were better than others. But Granger told him living in time meant all seasons had their end. Even those of the trial. Right now, he was holding on to that. Once in the kitchen, he went about preparing a cup of tea. He had gone for a while without using sugar in it, even though he liked his drink hot and sweet. But he'd had too many accidents spilling it, and cleaning up the mess afterwards was a pain. His hands often trembled. Healer Robbins said it was in response to the fevers. Whenever his temperature spiked, Draco couldn't hold on to anything. Even the smallest spoon would be dropped with a crash, sugar scattering everywhere. But then Granger stepped in. Of course she did, the noisy, nosy little crusader, Draco thought fondly. When she'd noticed that he'd been going without, she'd asked him about it. 
As he explained his situation, her lips pursed in a tight frown. The next day she'd brought him a bear-shaped container filled with honey, said that it was a squeeze bottle, and showed him how to use it. She spelled it to respond to even the weakest press. Then the interfering little swat taught him how to make the perfect cup of tea by adding honey and a lemon slice. He liked it so well he no longer missed the milk and sugar he'd used to demand. Draco sighed and took another sip. Granger, his pesky new friend. Looking around the kitchen of his new home, he could see her influence everywhere and the purple flower arrangement on his table and the strange muggle appliances she insisted on purchasing to help him live more independently, he snorted, remembering her chirpy bright voice the day she'd brought them to his house. Muggle magic here to save the day! At least she believed in him. She believed he could have a normal life. Not everyone did. He'd moved to the family's lakeside cottage soon after being dismissed from St. Mungo's. The manor, complete with long hallways, massive staircase, and overbearing parents, was no place for someone physically disabled to live. Lucius, under the sentence of a lengthy house arrest and magical suppression, had assigned the elves to help in his son's care. But Draco didn't want to be coddled. Not that his father listened to his protest. Wanting to escape from the guilt of being the cause of his son's condition, Lucius went too far in the other direction. He became suffocating. Narcissa was little better. Always teary-eyed, always apologetic, neither she nor her husband understood what their son wanted was normalcy. What Draco needed was for them to act naturally, even if natural for them was less than ideal, but they ignored his pleas. After several days of being babied and being made to feel utterly useless, he told his parents he was moving out to live at the cottage on the other side of the grove, near the lake where he used to fish as a lad. He wasn't surprised when his mother kicked up a fuss. Don't be ridiculous, she scoffed. That's an impossibility. Why, well, you're not. Her words trilled off and she realized what she'd almost said. Putting her fingers to her mouth, she looked at him guiltily. Draco's face turned stony and cold. I'm not what, mother? he asked. Strong enough? Able enough? Good enough? Removing her hand from her face, she gave him a weathering look. There's no need to mock my concern, Draco. Concern? That's what you're calling it? Draco! I will not tolerate, he butted in. You forget. I know you, mother. I can tell what you're thinking. You and father both. I can see it every time you look at me. I can hear it in the tone of your voice. I'm the family's new dirty little secret. Now you know that's not isn't it? He interrupted. Tell me then, mother. Why are squibbed children not included in pure-blood family portraits? Draco, that's not. Why are disabled children passed by and receiving an inheritance? Well, I guess I should be glad I'm an only child or I'd be a pauper now. Draco, please. Ignoring her please, he pushed further. Mother, have you been busy arranging a match for me? Narcissa didn't answer. Lifting his brows, Draco mocked, No? 
Why not? Nothing. Could it be because you're ashamed of me? Because you know none of the other families will accept me now, no matter how many galleons father promises them? Narcissa Magistus stare for a few beats of the heart, then her eyes shifted, unable to keep his honest gaze. And when Draco saw it, his last faint hope shriveled and died. He knew pure-blood ideology. He'd been raised on it. Anything less than perfect was beneath them, whether it was muggleborns or squibs or disabled sons who were no longer a source of pride. His face began to crumble, but hastily stomping down his emotions, he clenched his jaw and affected indifference. That's what your real concern is, that my condition has further sullied our already tarnished name, that we'll eventually lose our place in society. Darling, I know you don't mean all this, you're tired and overwrought. You need to rest. Oh, please. You can't keep me in bed forever. A pity, I know. I would be easier to hide away if I were bedridden. Draco! Dove! Listen! With that one word, Draco felt his heart crack into a million pieces. How many times had his mother called him her dove? when he'd taken his first steps, ridden his first broom, when he'd gotten his Hogwarts letter, made the Slytherin Quidditch team, when he'd been made prefect, always when he'd shown promise or received an honor, that she'd said it now was horribly, painfully ironic. Why do you call me that? His he asked, his voice low and ominous, though Narcissa didn't pick up on it. She paused and sighed. Because you'll always be my son, she began, combing back his hair with her fingers. Even if you're no longer. The small negative word was aflame to Draco's combustible cauldron. He exploded, Don't tell me what I am no longer! Narcissa gasped, shocked at his outburst. I know, okay? He raged. I'm lame. I'm a cripple. My body no longer works, but I'm still me, he shouted, startling his mother into silence. Any here, Mom? And he thumped his chest angrily. I am no different, yet you and Father treat me as if I am. Do you know what that feels like? Do you know what it does to me? Draco paused to breathe, his hand shaking uncontrollably. Two pairs of gray eyes stared at each other, both filled with pain and tears. Mom, please, he begged. I know better than to ask it of father, but can't you understand? I'm... I'm trying to, son. Trying to? Draco mentally sputtered, incredulous. What kind of answer was that? It wasn't one, that's what, especially from one's mother. He decided he'd had enough. This was too painful to continue. Forget it. I'll leave as soon as I can. Don't try to stop me. It'll be better this way. For all of us. He watched as his mother burst into tears. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, so sorry this ever happened. Draco sighed. Bowing his head in defeat, he whispered, So am I.
Narcissa tried one last time. Maybe, maybe we could. Draco cut her off. Just let me go. So they did. The next morning, his father had given the elves, had the elves move his things to the quaint stone cottage near the border of their property. They stayed to clean the inside, and when they were done, Cookie, the oldest elf, started a fire to scare away the chill. Even though it was summer, the stone walls made the air inside the house feel cool and damp. Afterward, the old elf approached Draco, reclining on the sofa. Master Draco, the young miss you have spoken of, she who visited Master at the hospital, she is the same as was brought to the manor, the one with the nasty word on her arm. Draco swallowed hard. He didn't know why Cookie was bringing that up. He tried every day to forget it. Yes, Cookie, she's one and the same. Cookie released a big sigh and smiled up at Draco. Cookie is very happy to hear it, sir. Very happy indeed. Why? Draco asked before he could stop himself. The elf's eyes grew large and knowing. Because, sir, young miss knows suffering. She was stronger than it. She will be helping young master to do the same. Once he got used to being there, Draco had to admit his new home had a charm that had been entirely lacking at the manor. The cottage, free of the dark, toxic energy that filled his childhood home, was calm, peaceful. Situated on the banks of the large lake, it allowed Draco to hear the soft, soothing sound of water. It was that sound, nature's own lullaby, that put Draco to sleep at night. The quaint dwelling had a thatched roof, neatly trimmed, and was graced on the sides by lush green ivy on the south wall and climbing roses on its north side. The irritating squawks of his father's peacocks were heard no more. They had been replaced by the sweet song of woodlarks, nesting at the foot of the rowan tree that stood between the cottage and the lake. Draco loved that tree. He fondly remembered climbing it with Theo Knott when they'd been young boys. Draco's grandmother had planted it as an additional source of protection from malevolent spirits, as the wards were weakest near the water. More than once Draco wondered if that's why it was so peaceful there. If the tree his grandmother planted was what kept Voldemort's dark magic from infiltrating that area. The first time Granger visited him there, she remarked how much she adored his new home. She thought it was far superior to the manor. Of course she would think that. His childhood home could never be anything for her except a reminder of the torture she had endured within its walls. Add to that the Death Eater who tried to attack her still lived there. But she never mentioned his father to him, never mentioned that returning to Malfoy grounds made her uneasy. What she did mention was that she'd gotten him a surprise, a housewarming gift for his new home. But that's who she was, he discovered, thoughtful, always giving. It had started at the hospital. Hermione began to regularly check up on him after he'd cleared to have unlimited visits at St. Mungo's. When she would come, she would always bring something with her, a game of wizarding chess or exploding snap, a bag of goodies from Honey Dukes. Several times she brought a muggle toy called Rock'em Sock'em Robots. Apparently the point of the game was to direct 
the boxing of one's robot against its opponent until one person scored a knockout punch. Draco told her it was the silliest, most useless thing he'd ever seen, but in secret he enjoyed the cathartic feeling of the toy provided, which, knowing Granger, was probably the reason she brought it. Hermione discovered Draco loved muggle music, specifically modern piano compositions. When she told him she'd taken piano lessons for years, he'd asked her if she knew any pieces by Villepertoc, and she gave him a teasing smile and said he'd have to find out. Then she commandeered a wheelchair and wheeled him to the lobby of the hospital where a baby grand stood near the admissions desk. She asked the wizard there, one employed by St. Mungo's, to provide music to if she could provide music to the visitors, if she could play a song for a patient. He took one look at Draco and nodded, telling her to take her time. He said he would take an early lunch. As soon as he left, she positioned Draco so he would be able to see her play. Then her nimble fingers took off. She played the entire suite for piano to her audience of one. Draco didn't interrupt. He watched her play the deceptively difficult piece with a lightness and ease that made his heart clench strangely. When she finished, she turned to look at him, expecting a smirk and teasing comment or critique. She was shocked to find tears on his face. Draco didn't bother wiping them away. He merely nodded and mouthed, Thank you. On her visits to the hospital, she usually came alone, but a few times Potter came with her. Weasley never did. Conversations were short and stilted when Harry was present, even though the boy Wonder was uncommonly kind to Draco. But when Hermione was by herself, there was no end to the topics they would discuss, one after another until the hours sped and the shadows would lengthen against the charmed windows. Draco began to anticipate her coming. He found himself counting the hours before he would see her again. He could better ignore his pain when Granger was around. Her stimulating conversation was the perfect distraction. She was well-versed on nearly every topic except Quidditch, and her banter was always witty. Recalling those awful early days, he had to admit it was her steady voice reading his favorite books that had been all that kept him from giving up. Back then, he'd been too drugged and out of it to question why she was his most faithful visitor. He was just glad she came. Later, when he was better, he attributed her attentiveness to survivor's guilt. It took a careless remark, Draco Overhood, to put two and two together as to the real reason behind Hermione's faithful concern. It happened one evening, about a week before he was discharged. The witch was going off duty, remarked to the nurse replacing her, It's such a shame about patient Malfoy, isn't it? He's such a handsome young man. Now I suppose there's no chance for him to marry. And I hear He's the only son, too. It's like the fades put a judgment on that family. The other midi witch tried to hush the first one. Constance, shh, his door's not closed. He might hear you. No, he won't. I just gave him his potions. They work fast. Are you sure? The other witch laughed. I'm sure. I could put a dancing fila in there and he wouldn't notice. Draco heard both nurses chuckling. Stupid witch, he thought. He wasn't that medicated. Well, I heard something the other day about your young patient. 
If you're going to mention his dark mark, don't bother. I've seen it. Not that. The mini witch paused. In a lower voice, she asked, Did you know he was hurt by saving Hermione Granger? Are we talking about the Hermione Granger? Best friend of Harry Potter? Right, the very one. He took a curse meant for her. The other witch gasped, Merlin, I didn't know. If that's so, both meadow witches fell silent. Draco tried desperately to fight against the effect of the potions to hear what else they would say. Finally, he heard a voice again. You know how that works. She owes him her life in return. Do, do you think they know? Does it matter? Doesn't it matter? Does it? I don't know. The magic of his action has already been cast. It can't be called back. It's one of the most binding of powers. Draco sucked in a breath. Funny how he'd never considered it before, but now it was staring him in the face. He wondered if Granger knew or if she was unconsciously being influenced by the deep magic. An eye for an eye. One life in exchange for another. The cosmic skills demanded balance. Intentional or not, he'd risked everything to save Hermione. And now, she owed him a life debt. Alright, my readers, we are going to take a quick break, and I will be right back. Hi, and welcome back to Sepa Stories. Alright, so, I'm sorry for the small break. Um, this is a rather larger story, and... I am going to make sure to notify you that in this next segment of reading, there will be um, adult situations and uh, kind of the beginning of a physical relationship between um, Draco and Hermione. So if this is not your cup of tea, this is where you skip and go on to the next story or head on to commentary. All right, so chapter three and let's continue on this really wonderful story all right chapter three by summer's end draco and hermione were the closest of friends they did everything together they cooked together read books together made potions together even fished and swam together if draco couldn't do a certain activity hermione would figure out a way to make it work amazing him with her muggle ingenuity she found herself spending all her free time at the cottage. Its serenity, as well as the companionship of the wizard, who was now so dear to her heart, worked a magic that made the past year with its horrors feel like a distant dream. The cottage saw other visitors, too. Harry was a frequent visitor. The boy who lived seemed determined to patch up the bad blood that had always existed between him and Draco. Taking a leaf from Hermione's book, he started the change by bearing gifts. His first offering was to install railings and grab bars inside the cottage for Draco to have on his bad days. The injured youth hated the necessity of the supports, but was profoundly touched by Harry's thoughtfulness. Another time, Harry came with his broom and took Draco riding. That ride turned out to be a long one. Every time Harry tried to land, Draco begged for a few minutes more. He'd forgotten what it felt like to feel weightless and free, soaring through the air with the wind buffeting his body. 
Harry understood and showed him that he did on his next visit by presenting Draco with a specially made broom. The former Slytherin seeker stared at the gift as if unable to believe what he was seeing, while Hermione stood beside him, hands on her hips in a way that was eerily reminiscent of Molly Weasley. "'Harry James Potter, are you mad? Do you want him to get hurt?' Calm down, my own. Do you think I'm an idiot? She snorted, giving Harry his answer. But Draco slowly stood to his feet, shuffling over to where Harry was standing. He said, Thank you, mate. The tone of his voice giving proof of the depth of his gratitude, surprising no one. Harry returned the thanks with a man hug, saying, it comes with sticking with a sticking charm on the seat and the handle and also a detachable releasing spell once you land. Draco gave him a clumsy hug back. I, I don't know what to say. Say you'll go riding with me now. That is, if your warden will release you, Harry teased, sticking his tongue out at Hermione. Rolling her eyes, she pretended annoyance but secretly was touched by Harry's generosity, so much like his godfather's. Well, go on then, you two. Harry, you better bring him back in one piece. And Draco, can you do something for me while you're out? Draco looked over at her, surprised. Hermione rarely asked him for anything. Yes? Make Harry eat your dust. Both wizards laughed as Harry helped Draco out the door. Hermione's 19th birthday turned out to be a turning point in her and Draco's relationship. The emotions that had been growing between them all summer finally found a voice. It started when Hermione decided to do something special for her birthday. Knowing Draco's fondness for sweets, even by Gryffindor standards, he was an absolute fiend for them. She wanted to try her hand at making cauldron cakes. Molly Weasley somehow caught wind of Hermione's plan and graciously offered to help. The day before Hermione's birthday found the two witches busy in the Weasley kitchen. While they mixed the batter, Hermione shared with Molly what she'd been up to that summer, most of it being about Draco and the struggles he'd had. Molly's mixing grew slower and slower as she listened to the tale of his heroism and subsequent disability. But when Hermione got to the part about how he'd been treated by his parents, Molly saw red. So much so, the cake batter began to bubble dangerously. It was all Hermione could do to keep the dear woman from going over there to mother and fuss over the young wizard. But Hermione knew Draco wouldn't wish it, so instead, the Weasley matriarch relieved her feelings by sending a howler piece to Lucius and Narcissa. When Hermione flew to the cottage the next day, cakes in hand for the luncheon of bangers and mash Draco had managed to make for her, she told him what Molly had done. He immediately choked on his meal. Hermione had to pat his back several times before he could breathe again. Afterwards, they both laughed until their sides hurt. Blast! I wish I could have been there to see it. I know it's your birthday, but honestly, that feels like a gift for me. Hermione grinned impishly. More than my cauldron cakes? Haven't had one, so I can't say you're hoarding them over there. Oh, so sorry, my prince, she wisecracked. Snapping her fingers, she levitated the cakes to sit in front of Draco. Better now? I'll answer that after I've tasted them. As he reached for a cake, Hermione noticed his hands were trembling badly. Draco, 
When did that start? she asked. I don't know, maybe ten minutes ago? Hermione, Hermione wordly bit her bottom lip as he attempted to eat the dessert. Draco was making a mess of the cake and himself. After watching him struggle through another bite, her tender heart intervened. Reaching over, she offered what was left of the sweet. Here you go, love. Draco glanced up at the endearment, but Hermione seemed unaware of her slip. Seeing that his bangs were in his eyes again, she pushed them back from his forehead, then she frowned. You're burning up. He shrugged, unconcerned. It wasn't like it was the first time his fever had spiked. I'm more worried about being filthy, he said as he took a look at himself. The cake was everywhere. I'm getting a quick shower. You'll stay, won't you? Of course I will, but hold on. Before you go, take your potion. I'll clean all this up while you wash. She held the vial so Draco could swallow the bitter liquid without spilling any. She felt guilty as she watched him make his way to his bedroom, struggling against the tremors overtaking his body. Right before he went in, he turned back to look at her. In spite of his shaking, he managed to wink. By the way, good cake, Granger. Once he'd closed the door, her mental chastisement started. I am so selfish. I should have noticed that he'd gotten worse. But she'd been having such a good time with him, she sighed. She knew in her heart she needed to be careful. Draco was still so vulnerable. It would be so easy to love him, and easier still to break him. He needs a friend, Hermione, not a girlfriend, not someone who would further complicate his already mucked-up life. Remember that and put his needs first. Rising from her chair, Hermione put away her thoughts and began to clean up the kitchen. She first did the first thing she did was to levitate the remaining food to put inside the small refrigerator she'd purchased for Draco. Then she smelled then, the, then she spilled a soapy washcloth to clean the table while at the same time spelling the broom to sweep up all the crumbs up off the floor. As soon as she was through putting the dirty dishes to soak, she heard a loud thump. A sharp cry followed it. Hermione panicked. Leaving the broom still sweeping, she rushed to Draco's bedroom, her heart pounding, afraid of what she might find. Opening the bathroom door, she found her friend sprawled on the wet shower floor, naked and grimacing in pain. Oh, Draco, she gasped, seeing a large and angry-looking gash began to turn purple on his forehead. Checking the rest of him, she found no other bruises beginning to form. Hermione tried not to stare at his manhood, choosing instead to Asio the fluffy bath towel hanging on the wall. Grabbing it, she covered his lap to give him a bit of his dignity back. "'I don't know why you're bothering,' he muttered, too ashamed to look her in the eye. "'Can't even take a bloody shower by myself. You should let me drown.' "'I'll do no such thing,' she countered as she reached for his wand near the sink. She'd used it before and was surprised at how compliant it was to her magic. Aiming it now at Draco's head, she began to heal the ugly cut. What happened? she ventured to ask. My hands started shaking, even more than before, and I, I couldn't hold on to the soap. It dropped. When I tried to pick it up, I somehow slipped on the blasted thing. If it had been Ron telling the story, Hermione would have laughed herself silly. But Draco was different. She nodded, making a sympathetic sound while casting the healing spell work. Once done with his forehead, she went on to treat the other bruises. He stayed still as she concentrated on her task. 
When she was through, he surprised her by lifting his hand and softly tracing her cheek with his fingertips. So soft, he murmured. Hermione instinctively leaned into his touch and then blushed after realizing what she'd done. Draco saw and chuckled. Me touching your cheek embarrasses you? How do you think I feel? You just saw it all. That made her cheeks turn even a brighter crimson. I, uh, I promise I try not to look. Draco's left brow rose in disbelief as he winced in pain at the movement. He gingerly felt for the lump on his head. <laughs> Ow! You must have done a crap job with this, Granger. It still hurts. Sorry, did I miss a place? Hermione brushed Draco's hair away to get a better look. During the summer, it had grown out a little. In spite of it forever being in his eyes, she privately thought his hair looked better this way. Before he kept it too short, it had been a severe style, making him appear pinched and angry. The shaggier length he wore now made him look younger and more approachable. She smiled. He's so handsome. Looking back down, she noticed Draco watching her, his eyes twinkling, the beginnings of a smirk playing around his lips. All during the summer, she'd been a witness to the shifts of his moods and could take in a blink of an eye. It looked like he was experiencing it again from the humiliation and pain she'd seen when she found him on the bathroom floor to now a teasing grin that bordered on being flirty. Well, she thought, suppose it could be worse. He could be raging mad or depressed. Hermione would take flirty any day. A mischievous face was one of Draco's most adorable looks and one she didn't see enough of. I think you like touching me, he quipped playfully. I think I do too. Out loud, Hermione said, just noticing how long your hair has gotten. Would you like a trim? What I'd like is for it to be properly washed. It's been so long since it's felt really clean. Draco, I thought Cookie and the others were popping in to help you with things. Now it was Draco's turn to redden. They were, but I hated it. Mother and father couldn't leave things alone. They kept ordering the elves to do more and more. She heard him under under his breath bloody control freaks. Hermione's heart began to ache for her friend. Didn't his parents know their actions were hurting him? As if in answer to her thoughts, Draco added, they don't understand. Just because my body is broken doesn't mean my mind is, but you can't tell them that. On the contrary, Hermione thought there were quite a few things you could tell the Malfoys, but she didn't voice them. She knew if she started, she would say too much. Instead, she began to stroke his shoulder. It had always soothed him before in the hospital. Draco relaxed into her touch. Sorry, I know my parents make you uncomfortable. Forgive me for mentioning them. Draco, you can say anything you want to me any time. If they don't make me uncomfortable, they make me want to hex them. Hermione's heart ached for the blonde while feeling white-hot anger at Lucius and Narcissa. They didn't deserve him. It's just, whenever I give them an inch, they try to take the whole bleeding mile. I finally ordered the elves not to come back unless I called for them. I'm so sorry, she murmured, the depth of her empathy obvious in the tone of her voice. Is there anything I can do? Well, actually, do. Do you mind helping me? Help you with what? 
wash my hair? He explained all the while, expecting her to refuse. Hermione gulped. I, uh, yes. I mean, all right, I don't mind helping. Um, if you're sure you want me to. Draco swallowed and nodded slowly. Hermione gazed nervously into his eyes and gave him a quick nod back. Moving behind him, she braced her back against the wall. The wet floor was slippery. It wouldn't do for both of them to take a tumble. Wrapping her arms around him, she pulled Draco up to where he could reach the counter. Together, they got him into a standing position. In the process, the towel fell to the floor, but there was nothing for it now. Draco needed her help. Modesty would just have to wait. Lean on me, Hermione instructed while wrapping one arm around his waist. Together they hobbled to the shower, where Hermione adjusted the water to a warmer temperature. Don't boil me, witch! Just trying to get it warm enough for a proper cleaning. You did say you wanted that, right? Once again, Draco nodded. Right then. Letting Draco go, she first made sure he was secure, his weight against the shower wall, his hands resting on the top grab bar Harry had put in. Then she reached for the bottle on the shelf, popping the top, the fragrance she'd always associated with Draco filled the steamy air. It was a spicy lemon-basil smell that was wonderfully appealing. It reminded Hermione of the summer days she spent with her parents going to Tuscany and the aroma coming from the lemon groves under the warm Italian sky. Squeezing out a large dollop of what had to be outrageously expensive shampoo, she began to lather Draco's hair. He bent his head down, trying to help, until she told him not to. You'll get soap in your eyes, she warned. Acquiescing, he uh, leaned his head back to rest against the tiles. It made it harder for Hermione to reach the back of his head, so she had to get closer. And closer still. And now she was acutely aware of Draco's naked body, her soaked dress, the only barrier between them. Thankfully, he didn't seem to be noticing anything but the bliss of getting clean. His grunts and moans of appreciation were not helping Hermione concentrate, but eventually she got the job done. She rinsed his hair and was about to turn the water off when he said, What about the rest of me? Um... What about it? Draco let go of the bar and put a hand to his chest. I'm, I'm tired of relying on Scourgeify. I want to feel clean again. Hermione squeaked, Everywhere? Once more he nodded, apology battling with the need in his eyes. Help me, please, Hermione? It was the first time he'd ever said her given name, and he'd done it in a moment of humility, acknowledging his inabilities by asking for her help. Hermione recognized the level of respect he had just shown. Draco trusted her more than the house elf who helped raise him, more than his own flesh and blood. Her heart squeezed painfully. She actually felt tears beginning to form in her eyes, not that he would be able to tell in all the wet. Okay. Grabbing the washcloth, she reached down for the soap and started to lather his chest. Draco closed his eyes, whether to more fully enjoy the experience or to save her from embarrassment, Hermione couldn't say. After his chest was clean, she moved to his shoulders. She loved this part of Draco's body. His shoulders and biceps, not too big, not too wiry, were chiseled and cut and 
perfect. She soaped them up and did the same with these, with his armpits. Draco began to chuckle. It tickles, he admitted. She moved to the different areas on him. Hermione began to hum, finding a zen moment in the action of cleaning his body. Hermione felt like an artist, the bar, the soap her paint. She worked on a human canvas. Strangely, it calmed her. That is, until her work brought her below his navel. Then she paused. Draco felt her hands still, sighing. He said, um, Don't be bothered by that. I mean, it's not, it's not like a real, it's not like I'm a real man anyway, or anymore. It's just another body part. But, um, I, I never, I mean, I, uh, I wouldn't know how, she stammered, stammered, turning beet red. Draco sighed. Give me your hand. What? Huffing, Draco reached out and fumbled for Hermione's hand, managing to finally grasp it. He put it on his member. It's not a poisonous snake about to bite you, Granger. It's just my... Don't say it. Just don't say it. Is the Gryffindor princess scared of a word? No, she's scared of the reality. But all she said was, Can you at least shut your eyes while I do this? It's hard enough without knowing you're watching me handle you. Hard enough, did you say? Draco, stop! He flashed a wicked grin, but did what she asked and closed his eyes. Merlin, why me? She groaned inside. She'd never felt such embarrassment, or still was the way her body was reacting in that moment. It was all she could do not to. Stop it, Hermione. Just friends, remember? Pretend you're a midi-witch. They have to do this sort of thing all the time she decided the best course of action was to hurry up and get the job done. So she quickly lathered him up, not realizing what she was doing in her hasty attempt to finish. The quick and hard rubbing was unlike the slow and gentle movements that she'd given the rest of his body. She felt him grow hard in her hand. Crepes! She held and dropped him like a red-hot coal. Draco let out a grunt of discomfort when she let go. A moment later, he began to laugh. He got so tickled, he snorted. <laughs> you did this, so don't blame me. Her cheeks flamed with mortification. I am so sorry. I swear I wasn't trying. Her eyes could not stop staring at what she'd created. Could you quit pointing that... that thing at me? Draco only laughed harder and almost fell down again. Unfortunately, Hermione wasn't seeing the humor. Her eyes filled with tears and she felt like such a fool. Draco saw how upset she was getting. Hey, oh, come on, Granger, don't be upset. I thought it was funny. She looked at him, her face crumpling in dismay. Well, you must think of me now. What? No! It just happens. There's no need. I'll tell you what there was no need. You blowing up like, like a party balloon in my hand. Draco gave her a long, appraising stare, looking her up and down. I had a beautiful witch wearing nearly transparent clothing touching me. How did you think I was going to react? Hermione's temper vanished with proof of Draco's words. Shivers erupting throughout her body replaced it beautiful witch? He thought she was beautiful? She sniffed. 
staring into his expressive eyes as drops of water fell from his nose. She saw it when she, when those eyes looked down to her lips. She wanted so badly to kiss him to fill his mouth on hers, but she forced herself to ignore her once, and instead zeroed in on something else, something Draco had unknowingly revealed, something he obviously needed to hear. Then don't you ever say again, you're not a real man. This proves you are. The statement caught Draco by surprise. He seemed gobsmacked by the simple truth she pointed out. A minute later, a tiny smile appeared. Am I? he pondered. This disability had made him think he would never have the chance for a real relationship, that he would never be man enough. What woman would willingly bind herself to a cripple? What woman would want to deal with the special needs for the rest of her life? His eyes rested on Hermione, all in her waterlogged glory. She's been dealing with them since the beginning. A tiny voice tried to remind him not to take advantage of the magic of the life death that was surely influencing the witch in front of him, but at that moment Draco could have sworn he was the one being influenced. Influenced ever since he'd saved Hermione's life by her intelligence, her kindness, her innate goodness. Finding out everything he ever wanted was in the lovely girl with the big hair and the even bigger heart. She had become his best friend, his entire world. Seeing the sudden change in his countenance, Hermione drew a breath, mesmerized by the look in his eyes. She moved closer, pulled by the depth of emotion playing across his face. Draco, she whispered, reverent as a prayer. Oh, God's Hermione, it's been you all along he whispered, before he gave her what she'd been wanting. Lowering his head, he claimed her lips with his. It took an unexpected visitor to bring Draco and Hermione back to their senses. For a time, all they'd been able to concentrate on were the sensations overwhelming them both, the gentle exploration of lips and tongue, the pressing of bodies that fit so perfectly together, and the moans their caresses produced. Draco's hands were still shaking, though now from more passion. Where the sudden desire had been hiding, he didn't know. Maybe he'd been afraid to acknowledge it because he hadn't believed it could ever be possible. Maybe it had lain dormant, waiting for the right time to spring forth. All he knew was that he wanted Hermione. He needed her. Merlin helped him, but at this moment he realized he loved her and probably had for quite some time. He trilled kisses down her neck, finishing with a little nip by her collarbone, a love bite. Maybe it was for the rumored Vila strain and his ancestors popping up in them now, but he wanted to leave his mark on a witch who had stolen his heart. He pulled her as closely as he could, burying his face in her wet curls that were heavy with her unique fragrance, apples and spices, and the crisp, pleasing smell of a cold autumn morning. God's, her scent was intoxicating. She was addictive. Draco, 
She whimpered when he cupped her rear to press her more tightly to that spot on him that was aching for more attention. He groaned, perilously close to losing control, when he heard the chimes of his flu ring. Hermione heard it, too. It stilled. Reluctantly, she pulled back to ask, Was that... Right then the door to the bathroom opened, and in waltzed none other than Lucius Malfoy. Hermione's nemesis and father to the naked wizard she was groping. Reacting with quick reflexes she'd honed during the war, Hermione attempted to ask Theo the bath towel to cover Draco, but she was too late. It had become trapped underneath the feet of their uninvited guest. The older wizard blinked at first as if unbelieving of what he was seeing. Only after hearing a startled father did the signature Malfoy sneer appear. Well, well, isn't this a pretty kettle of fish? Been keeping secrets, son. What? You just barge into bathrooms? Why are you even here? Lucius snorted, his scorn evident. I assure you, I would rather be elsewhere than here in front of this sickening display. But your mother became worried when you ordered the elves away. She wanted me to check on you. Now I see your purpose in dismissing them. The fewer witnesses to your indiscretions, the better. But where? I mean, we weren't... Lucius ignored Draco's sputtering. Tell me, son, is this why you saved her? he asked, indicating Hermione with a nod of his head. You could have told me you had the mudblood servicing you. I would have left her alone, and your unfortunate injury would have never occurred. Hermione bristled, outraged at the very idea. You think I was... that he was paying me to... For once she was incised, incised beyond words. Her palms tingled, itching to slap the pompous sneer off his face. She'd been called a mudblood, a swat, but her integrity had never before been questioned. She thought she'd grown immune to personal attacks, but this hurt on a deeper level, partially because she knew the former Death Eater had meant for it to wound. A small part of her felt like crying, but the other part, angrier part, felt like pulling his perfect prissy hair out of his misogynistic head. Do you think I'm some kind of whore? She spit out, her brown eyes snapping. Lucius raised an eyebrow at Hermione's question. His eyes glittered lasciviously as they slowly traveled down the length of her wet, see-through dress. Then he looked back up and actually had the nerve to wink at her. Yes, that's exactly what I think, he smirked lewdly. It was hard to say whose face burned brighter. Draco's or Hermione's, both ready to hurt the man. Hermione was the first to speak. I'll have you know I'm a... Hermione suddenly stopped. She was about to say virgin, but why should she? Why should she? It was none of his business. I thought we'd already established what you are, he sniffed contemptuously. Certainly not good enough for my son. Draco had enough. Hermione is pure father, purer than you or I could ever hope to be. Lucius curled his upper lip. Don't misuse the word, Draco. She's filth. That was the final straw. Enough, Hermione said, her voice hard as steel. Get out. Now. Why? You impudent little chit. That's why, Lucius hissed. 
You are on Malfoy property. This is my home. You dare order me out of it? My home, Draco corrected, his voice reminding Hermione of how he'd sounded at Hogwarts, haughty and regal. And I dare leave, father, before I call for Cookie to take you back to the manor. The look on his father's face darkened. Hermione felt alarmed and remembered that this man had been her enemy only a few short months ago. He tried to hurt her, and would have been successful if it hadn't have been for Draco. "'We are not through here, son,' he spat through clenched teeth. "'I expect you to do your duty to your family name and not sully it.' Hermione watched as Draco matched his father's arrogance. She was impressed." It couldn't have been an easy thing standing in front of all that anger without a shred of clothing on. But one wouldn't have known it by his stance or the expression on his face. <laughs> That's rich coming from you. Because of your choices, our name is in tatters. Draco, Lucius, I'll not have you. But Draco was done with the conversation. Shove off, old man. Flicking his wrist, he made his father vanish with a pop. "'Serves them right if my tremor splinch him,' he mumbled. "'Where did you send him? Back to the manor?' Draco smirked, a wicked little grin that once again bloomed into that adorable look of mischievousness. "'To the northern edge of the property, a good seven miles from the manor, "'the way back is uneven and slippery and covered with thorny vines. "'Lucius, his magic suppressed, would have to walk the whole way back.' Hermione took one look at Draco's face and began to grin. An unladylike snort followed that and quickly turned into loud peals of laughter. <laughs> Draco, she said as soon as she was able. I know he's your father, but he was so, so horrible. You can say it. I've known it for a while now. I'm sorry, love. She once again snuggled up against his chest. Draco cupped her cheek with his hand. He noticed that the shaking had finally stopped. Am I really? he asked in a soft voice. Hermione tilted her head up. Are you really what? Your love? She shivered from the sudden explosion of butterflies in her stomach. Because I think you might be mine, he confessed. Perhaps we are each other's, she agreed before he silenced her from any further discussion. When Draco woke up the next morning, he had a sinking feeling of deja vu. The debilitating paralysis he'd experienced at the hospital had returned. He tried to stretch, but felt pinned down, a heaviness pressing him into the mattress. He experienced a momentary panic until he sensed movement beside him. It was Hermione, snuggling even closer. It was her body, one leg thrown over his, an arm slung around his waist, and her head on his chest that had caused the sensation of numbness. Merlin, the heat of her body, puts out wonderful feelings. Draco had become extremely cold-natured since his injury. He didn't know if it was a part of the curse or a side effect from the potions he'd had to take, but Hermione was better than a warming charm. My little cuddle bug, he thought funnily, until a wayward curl of hers began to poke him in the eye. 
He attempted to move it, but it sprang right back up. He tried again. The same thing happened. He tried blowing it away, but all that did was unlodge another strand. Now he had two crows attacking him. Love. Hermione. Hey, Granger, he said, increasing volume. <sighs> she moaned, then turned over. Draco chuckled until he heard her smack her lips and mumble, More. He was amused. His amused expression softened. More. Oh, he'd given her more last night. He'd given her everything and received the same back. Once they'd admitted their feelings for the other, things had escalated rather quickly. Somehow they'd made it back to his bedroom, half stumbling while their kisses and touches became clumsy and frantic. Draco struggled to get the soaked dress off his witch, but it seemed determined to fight him by stubbornly clinging to her skin. Hermione watched his frustrated attempts with a growing restlessness. Feeling that patience was no longer a virtue, she vanished her clothing, muttering, Never like that dress anyway. Draco's breath caught once the aggravating garment was gone and he was able to gaze at the wonder of Hermione's body. She was perfect and delectable and too good to be true. That she would offer such a gift to him, a wretched, lame, shattered wizard with a dark past and uncertain future, was beyond his comprehension. Giving her one last chance to back out, he cupped her face with his hands and asked, are you sure you want this? She nodded, her eyes filled with such tender trust Draco was hardly able to look at them. I've kept myself for this moment, and I've I've saved myself for you. Draco stared, gobsmacked. He wondered if Hermione, brought up with a muggle mindset, truly understood what she had just said. She had in essence declared that she was for him part of the vow binding one magical to another. Draco fought hard to keep his terrors at bay. When had anyone ever shown him such devotion? Not trusting his voice, he nodded back, determined he would make her first time one for the books, despite his impediments. This amazing woman deserved no less. He took his time, being careful to be gentle yet thorough. He attended to her patiently, making sure she was lost in the bliss of pleasure before thinking of his own needs. When he felt she was ready, he entered her in one slow, fluid movement, remembering to cast two spells, the first a contraceptive charm, the second one that would keep her from feeling uncomfortable. Hermione noticed when his magic filled her. What was that? she asked, still breathless after her high. Just a precaution, so I won't hurt you, love. The last thing Draco wanted was for her to feel pain on his account. Draco, no! Undo the spell, she begged. Are you sure? She kissed him with a possessive hunger. Please, I don't want to be numb. I want to feel everything you do. Agreeing, he did as she asked and lifted the spell. As soon as he did, Hermione gasped and her body stiffened. Oh, crap, I was afraid of this. Should I, should I pull out? No, just give me a moment. It wasn't really pain she was feeling, more a sensation of being overly full, of being stretched, and Hermione concentrated on relaxing her muscles to help her body accommodate the intrusion. After a few moments passed, she whispered, I, I think I'm ready now.
Draco had been holding his breath, hoping she would be okay, hoping he hadn't ruined the experience for her. When she gave him the go-ahead, he sighed in relief and began moving into a slow rhythm, making sure he didn't cause her further discomfort. He felt it when she began to enjoy him. He felt it when her lush body began to writhe under his. It turned him on so much he forgot to be gentle and instinctively sped up, his lips caressing her ear, telling her how wonderful she felt. When her timid, tiny mules turned into loud moanings of his names, Draco reached his limit. Hermione, I, I can't. And right before he claimed his release, he felt her when she fell, lost in the rapture that he'd given her. She cried out an articulate sound of pleasure, pleasure leaving her lips. Oh, think Merlin. Draco finally let go, thinking as he did he'd found a new life goal, replacing every torment he'd ever given Hermione with offerings of ecstasy to take their place. When he was through, he moved to the side, holding her sated body close to his. He was knackered and his arms felt like lead. It had been all he could do to keep himself from collapsing on her. Maybe next time, maybe she'd like to be on top. He'd never realized before how strenuous lovemaking was. His past encounters now seemed like dirty, wind-blown ash upon his skin, and they'd never been anything more than quick gratifications, a selfish way for him to meet his own needs. But this, this had blown all his other experiences out of the water. He, it hadn't been a taking, but a giving for both of them. It made Draco realize Hermione's feelings for him were as real as his were for her. It was an astonishing thought. He was he was such a faulty conglomeration of blood, bone, and magic, but he knew it was true. He'd felt it with his body and soul. The lioness loved her broken little snake. Draco was finally roused from his memories when he felt his witch lazily stretch, signaling she was awake. Turning over, she gave him a sleepy smile. Hey, he smiled back, a gentle open smile reserved just for her morning love. Giving her nose a scratch, she asked, What time is it? Draco glanced at the clock, 9.30. Oh, no, really? I have to be at Aries by 10.30. He tried not to show his disappointment. Oh, well, would you like a cup of tea before you go? Toast? Hermione was already getting out of bed. Tea would be lovely. Do you mind if I take a quick shower while you make it? Not at all. Blast. There goes this morning's fun. Is anything wrong? She knew the tone of Draco's voice. She heard it when it changed. He sighed. He loved his girlfriend's intelligence, but nothing got past her notice. Nothing. Just, just sorry we won't have time for another round. Hermione grinned impishly. Well, let's not abandon the idea. Can I get a rain check for this evening? Irene, what? She shook her head. Never mind. Can I come over this evening? Maybe stay the night? She asked shyly. Draco playfully tugged her back into bed. I don't want you staying anywhere else. From now on, consider this our home, Granger. She tucked her head under his chin as she held him close. Her smile threatened to overtake her entire face. Got it. Our home it is. He had just made himself a ham sandwich and had taken his first bite when Draco heard the pop of apparition coming from his living room. Looking at the clock, it said 12.45. 
Hermione's back already? He hobbled out to the kitchen to find his mother standing by the window, looking out towards the lake. Draco quickly swallowed and asked, Mother, what's wrong? It was the first time she'd come to the cottage since he'd moved out of the manor. She turned around and gave him an ignomatic stare. May I sit? Draco gestured to the sofa. Walking to it, Narcissa gracefully lowered her body and smoothed her robes. Once her son was sitting on the other end, she wasted no time in getting to the point of her call. Your father told me about his visit yesterday. Oh, did he? He responded mockingly. Did he happen to mention that he barged into my bathroom with not even a by-your-leave? He told me what he saw. He told me you and Miss Granger were in the shower together, that he'd found you in a compromising position. He Then he told me that you'd banished him. Draco smirked, totally unrepentant. Did Father enjoy his walk home? His mother huffed, exasperated. I cannot pretend to understand your behavior these days. I know I didn't raise you to be so disrespectful. Did you give Father the same dressing down? Because the way he looked and spoke to my witch was despicable. Draco, we are not discussing your father. Draco stared and wondered. And it was the first time his mother had ever shouted at him. Do you think I don't know what he is? Or what he's done? Truthfully, Draco didn't. He thought his mother preferred being ignorant. But I didn't come here to talk about his behavior. I came here to talk about yours and the way you're treating Miss Granger. Mother, calm yourself. Hermione and I are a modern couple. We don't hold to the old ways of, I'm not speaking of your romantic activities. I know your purity in that regard was lost some time ago. Draco cleared his throat uncomfortable. Then what are you? I'm talking about you taking advantage of the life debt that girl owes you. Draco's jaw chopped. You know about that? Just because it's escaped your father's notice doesn't mean it's escaped mine. You're using her, Draco. It isn't right. How am I using her? He watched as his mother's eyes actually filled with tears. Wait. She's worried about Hermione? The magic will compel her to give you whatever you need. Say whatever you need to hear. I know you're lonely here, son, but take advantage of Miss Granger just so she can warm your bed is an abuse of a magical bond. Draco didn't like where this conversation was heading. That, that's not true. I'm not using her, mother. Contrary to what father said, she's, she's not some plaything to me. He stared into his mother's face, willing her to understand, I, I love her. I intend to marry her. She'll have me. Narcissus' tears spilled over at that declaration. Oh, my poor son. I was afraid this would happen. What? That I wouldn't marry your pureblood? She shook her head as she wiped tears from her cheeks. No, I no longer believe in any of that. <laughs> it almost cost me my family. Draco was, was confused and what was his mother talking about? She wasn't making any sense. I'm not understanding, Mom. Just spit it out. Narcissa's face crumpled with sorrow as she gently placed her warm hand over Draco's cold one. I didn't want to be the one who would have to say it, but think, darling. 
Why would a member of the light seek you out? Because her part in the war, the entire resident world is now hers for the taking. She could literally have anyone she wanted. Draco nodded. That was true. Hermione could have her pick, but for some strange reason she'd chosen him. I know, Mother. I know. But she wants me. She loves me. Forgive me, but I must speak bluntly. No witch of her caliber would willingly seek out a disadvantaged wizard with whom to spend her life, especially one with a dark mark. It's not logical, dear. Surely you must have already questioned it in your mind. It has to be the life debt making her behave this way. You have to release her from it, son. Not doing so would constitute supreme selfishness on your part. Narcissa rose from her place on the sofa. She'd said enough. She'd hated to break her son's heart, but goodness knows nothing was helped by keeping one's heads in the sand. She ought to know. Draco needed to know the truth. He was far more honorable than his father and would do the right thing. She took one last look at his face, now a deathly pale color. If you truly love Miss Granger, you'll set her free from the debt she owes you. All right, my readers. And that was this last section. We're going to take another quick break. And we're about halfway through this story. And um, I'll be right back. Hi, and welcome back to Seppa Stories. All right, so we had a little bit of an intimacy reading there. And um, I, I don't typically read these, so hopefully we did that some justice and it wasn't too awkward so let's continue going further uh, we are actually now on chapter five of this really wonderful story so let's continue our lovely story chapter five as soon as his mother left draco collapsed against the couch try as he might he could not stop the crashing waves of despair that were hitting him with tidal force he was going to lose Hermione. He knew it. He would have to tell her the truth and release her from the bond. The doing of it would be achingly simple. All it would take would be for him to speak the words. That was the beauty of ancient power. No complex wand-waving or lengthy incantations were needed with the deepest and oldest of magics. Declarations had behind them the creative force of the universe. He would call forth her freedom, and the words themselves would stop the forces from swinging like a pendulum. The debt would be erased. The compulsion to offer her life, to give him what he needed, would be gone. And would she? I should have told her about the life debt as soon as I heard the nurses speak of it. He shied himself. What stopped me? He knew what had. He'd been hungry for the attention and concern she'd given him. Draco had relished every stroke of her hand, every fluff of his pillow. Even those crazy mongol inventions had been welcome because they'd come from her. Insufferable, selfish prick, his inner voice berated, in a voice that sounded a lot like Severus Snape, thinking only for yourself. Draco wasn't about to argue. He'd always been spoiled. 
He'd been raised to believe Malfoy's deserved the best, and that's what Hermione was, what she'd always been, the best friend of Potter, the best student. That's what Hermione was. the very best date at the Yule Ball, the very best at showing compassion. She was the best witch in the world. She'd been a clean, a drink of clean, cool water to a scorched and parched life, and he greedily swallowed every drop. Against his will, tears came, hot ones, wetting his cheeks while guilt and desire battled within to see which was strongest. You used her. I love her. Irrelevant. And she frightens out. She'll despise you. Would she? With a soft glow in her eyes turn hard and cold when she discovered the secret he'd been keeping, he stewed and fretted until he couldn't stand it anymore. Letting out a scream of pure frustration, he viciously kicked his walker, watching it crash into the coffee table. Not satisfied with that level of destruction, Draco grabbed his wand and blasted the table into splinters. He couldn't bear to imagine life without Hermione going through day after miserable day of not seeing her sweet face, her expressive eyes, nor hearing her soft voice reading to him, or hearing the bell-like music of her laughter during their witty, during their witty banterings. Despite his injury, the past summer had been the best in his life. She had made it so. Hearing her play the piano, he'd gotten a beautiful baby grand for the cottage shortly after moving in, just so that he could watch her play. She'd even tried to teach him. He recalled the patient way he she'd placed his trembling fingers on the keyboard, teaching him various chords and their progressions. He remembered the thrilled look of triumph on her face when he'd managed to play his successions of archipelagos, running his untrained fingers up and down the keyboard. It had been one of his good days. She'd clapped delightedly and given him the first of many hugs. Then yesterday, their affections accumulating into passionate kisses, their touches becoming more daring until they both burned, reaching a crescendo of total union. The broken moan left him. God, it hurt. Stupid, 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 his inner voice taunted. Shut up, he answered back. He didn't need his conscience accusing him. He knew he'd screwed up. He'd taken Hermione's innocence under false pretenses. Sure, he'd asked her if she was certain she'd wanted him, but what else could she have said under the compulsion of the life debt? She hadn't had a choice. It had been little better than magical rape. He'd stolen the purity meant for another thief. His conscience hissed. Truth was, Draco didn't think anything or anyone was good enough for his witch. He wasn't. The weasel certainly wasn't. Draco cringed at the idea of that useless brat laying a hand on Hermione. It made him want to vomit to imagine it. No, the ginger dunce didn't deserve her any more than he did. Still, it didn't matter. Draco didn't want anyone else to have her. He wanted her, needed her like air. He'd fallen helpless to her enchantments. But, as with all true magic, it'd come at a price. That was the burden of being magical. There was always a cost involved. He'd taken something innocent for himself, just like the Dark Lord had done with the blood of the unicorns. He'd been punished for it, and now, so would Draco. 
Without Hermione beside him, he would be condemned to live a cursed half-life. He groaned. He literally felt like he couldn't breathe, and he wondered if he still wanted to. Hermione knew something was wrong as soon as she operated back to the cottage. The front door was hanging open. Peering inside, she could see Draco's walker turned over on top of the splintered remains of what had been his coffee cocktail table. Draco? She called out fearfully. The only noise she heard was a faint trip, trip, trip. Oh my god! She whispered, suddenly terrified, her imagination painting horrible images in her mind. Grabbing her wand tightly, she entered the cottage, her senses on high alert. Lumos, she said, as she looked around for any possible intruder. Draco had been a Death Eater. He'd made enemies. It was possible that someone had come to exact vengeance. But how would they have gotten through the wards? Not to mention, why would they target Draco when a real Death Eater could be found nearby and magicless? Lighting the lamps with the flick of her hand, Hermione went through the cottage. But she didn't find anything else that would suggest a forced entry. She didn't. She also didn't find Draco. She didn't know what to do or where to go. Then she heard it. A low moan coming from somewhere behind the cottage. Running out the door, she paused, eyes wide with fright, trying to see in the dark, and then she heard it again, another moan, weaker this time. It was Draco's voice. She turned the corner of the gardening shed and stopped. Draco! She screamed. Blood was everywhere. Healer Robin sighed, his large frame beginning to ache with weariness. It had been several hours since the young Malfoy lad had been brought in, dead by all appearances, again. But fate seemed determined to keep the boy alive, or perhaps it had been Miss Granger, who had the presence of mind to put Draco under a stasis charm until the healers at St. Mungo's could stabilize him. But it had not been easy. He'd suffered a deep wound on his arm by his dark mark, and it looked like an attempt had also been made on his neck. But whoever did this had botched the cut there. It had just missed his juggler. If his attacker had been successful, there would have been nothing they could have done. Thankfully, he was going to make it. As per custom with this kind of case, he made the necessary fire call to the head of magical law enforcement to alert him of an apparent attempted homicide. Then he'd returned back to check on his patient's vitals. Taking one last look at Draco, he turned off his bloodied he took off his bloodied healer's robes and exited the room to bump into Harry Potter. Mr Potter Healer Robbins took in the apparel of the Wizarding World's Saviour. He was wearing the dark dragon hide uniform of an Auror on duty. I didn't know you had been called an Auror. Just a temporary one. I'm still in training. But I asked the minister to give me guard duty for Draco. I was there when your call came through. The healer smiled. He'd heard the story of the two former enemies during Draco's first day at the hospital that Harry had asked for this assignment spoke volumes. The two of you are friends, aren't you? It was more a statement than a question. Harry nodded. Couldn't help it. You saved my best friend's life. Healer Robbins chuckled, a weak one that revealed how very tired the older man was. Well, she saved his life tonight. So I guess they're even. 
while Harry kept watch outside the room, Hermione and Narcissa kept watch inside. The older witch saw how Hermione's hand trembled when she smoothed Draco's hair from his face. It, it was so horrible, she whispered brokenly. He looked so, so... She broke down, crying uncontrollably. Narcissa immediately wrapped her arms around the distressed witch. Shh, my dear. Don't think about that. You saved him. That's what matters. But what if I hadn't come back when I did? He would have died, she sobbed. Narcissa continued to hold Hermione, gently rubbing her back in the soothing way that mothers had. But inside her mind, her thoughts tumbled chaotically. The life debt should have been satisfied by her actions. She should feel relief, not, not this. Marlin, help me. Has she loved Draco all along? Narcissa was devastated. The things she'd said to her son were what she'd felt she had had to say, not what she'd wanted to say. She had been a victim herself, being under a life debt was victim still, and wouldn't wish that life on anyone. She'd only been trying to do what was right. Narcissa recalled her son's face right before she had left, drawn and white like she had abetted his heart. Tears began to slowly trill down her pale cheeks. My dear, she whispered, I think I've made a terrible mistake. Hermione was roused from her fitful slumber in the hospital chair when she heard Draco moan. The faint light was showing from the charmed windows. Daybreak then. Rubbing the back of her stiff neck, she sat up in her chair and looked over to see him staring blearily at her. Leaning over, she gently took his face in her hands and placed soft kisses on his forehead and nose before brushing her lips against his. Draco, I thought I'd lost you, love. Where am I? he mumbled. St. Mungles. Do you, do you remember what happened? Draco frowned. His brain was fuzzy. As if those wax birds, that crazy love girl, love good girl was always blathering about had taken up residence in his head. He tried to recall what he'd been doing when it all came back in a rush. Making love to Hermione, his mother's visit, his grief at the thought of losing his witch, and then him. Someone familiar had come to call. Father. Hermione froze. What? You... You mean... Oh my God, Draco, your father did this? Draco's face distorted into a mask of pain. She could see him trying hard not to fall apart. He looked up at her with tormented eyes, filled with hurt and disbelief that the actions of his father once again threatened his life. He, he was furious with me about yesterday, said we had an unfinished business. Hermione remembered, or not through her son. He told me what a disappointment I was and demanded I leave you. We fought. He became even more enraged. I, I swear it was like he turned into Bellatrix. He, he started screaming. Draco saw Hermione's face darken in fury. Then he picked up a knife I'd left on the counter. He tried to threaten me with it. When I wouldn't budge, he went completely mad. He caught me by surprise. What about your wand? Didn't you have it on you? Draco shook his head. 
I had to put it up earlier. I never imagined I would need it for him. Trickles. Sorry. Hermione swallowed hard. Well, how did he... I mean, what, what did he... Draco shut his eyes. He could still see his father above him, his features twisted, his eyes glowing man his eyes glowing maniacally as his long hair hung down, getting in his face. He dragged me outside, pinned me down. I, I tried to stop him, but he was stronger. He said he would rather end our line than watch me pollute it. Hermione stared back, shocked and sickened. Then she stood up and shouted, Harry! A few days later, the Daily Prophet's headlines caused quite a stir. Date with Dementors, deranged dad to receive kiss. The article went on to report, the article went on to report the, on the attempted murder of Draco Malfoy by his father, dastardly Death Eater Lucius Malfoy, and to the trial that had been conducted with secrecy and speed. Details of the case had been kept quiet, but the verdict had not. Justice, justice would finally be served to the unrepentant supporter of you-know-who. Hermione threw down the paper after reading it. I don't understand why Kingsley is allowing the prophet to publish this. The trial was a closed one. The new minister had at least allowed them that. The only spectators had been Narcissa, Hermione, and Harry. Draco, still recovering at St. Mungo's at the time, had not attended. You know why, said Draco, reclining on the soft sofa at the cottage. His wounds now fully healed, he'd been allowed to return home on the condition of staying on bed rest until he'd finished all of his blood replenishing potions. He balked at being confined to the bedroom, so Hermione thought the couch was a good compromise. He was a Death Eater that got away with it, just like me. He'll be made an example now. You're in no way like your father, love. He tried to hurt people, like me. She took his hand, interlacing her fingers with his. You saved my life. Draco cleared his throat. There was his opening. Better to get it over with before he lost his nerve. About that. I need to talk to you about something. I, I should have told you already, but honestly, I kept forgetting about it and well, well, you know I'm a selfish prat Anne. For heaven's sake, Draco, you're rambling to say it. He stilled himself. This was it, the moment he'd been dreading. You've been under a life debt. But as of this moment, I declare you free. Hermione stared at him. Then her mouth quirked up in a grin. I was wondering when you would bring that up. Your mother told me all about it. But like I told her, nothing could be farther from the truth. Draco's jaw dropped. He felt like he'd been confounded. Huh? was his brilliant reply. Hermione giggled at the look of befuddlement and kissed him on the cheek. I wasn't the only one under a life debt, Draco. You were. Remember before the battle in the room of requirement? The three of us endangered our lives to save you and Goyle from the fiend fire. I'm guessing that's why afterwards you jumped in front of me to save my life? The life debt you owed me drove you to do it. Draco was gobsmacked. The first thing he blurted at was, Does that mean I still owe a life debt to Harry and the weasel? Hermione shook her head. No, I don't think so. We acted as one when we returned for you. Besides, I'm the one who said we couldn't leave you to die. He thought back to that time 
that terrifying moment when he'd given up hope only to see three figures flying towards him. Then, later during the battle, when he knew Hermione was in grave danger, at that moment he couldn't explain it. He only knew he'd felt compelled to save her. Marlin, that explained it. His actions that day finally made sense. He stared at Hermione. She was watching him intently. So, since the time I saved you, we've both been free. You weren't being influenced by the debt to be with me. She shook her head, beautiful, her beautiful brown eyes shining with tenderness. I wasn't being affected by anything other than my own feelings. Our relationship progressed because we both wanted it. A relief so strong he didn't think he could stand it, threatened to overwhelm Draco. Hermione loved him, wanted him. It hadn't been obligation or magic making her be with him. He pulled her over and settled her on his lap, and then he kissed her, kissed her with everything he had, all his grief and regret, all his hope, too. When they came up for air, he announced, You're going to marry me, witch. You're going to be my wife. Hermione's breath caught. All at once she squealed so loudly it made Draco jump, and his ears ring. She wrapped her arms tightly around his neck and laughed, rocking him back and forth in sheer joy. I take it you approve the idea, he said, muffled and half smothered by Hermione's hair. She suddenly paused from her rocking. Oh, blast, I just remembered something. Pulling back a little, she repeated his earlier words back to him. I declare you free from any life debt owed me. What was that for? She shrugged her shoulders. I figured it couldn't hurt. I saved your life after finding you at the cottage. I didn't want a life debt to start all over again. I needed to be sure you meant it when you... What you said when you just proposed. Not because you... Not because it was something I wanted you to do. Although I will say that was the bossiest proposal I've ever heard. Draco's face softened, even while a mischievous grin formed. Her lots of proposals, have you? He quipped. Then he became serious. Something you wanted? He traced her cheek with his fingertips. You really mean that, don't you? I do, she nodded. I want you more than anything. Remember what you're getting. A cripple, wreck of a lizard, whose only recommendation is that he loves you with all his heart and soul. I mean it, Hermione. I love you. You know that. But you also know that I have bad days. Be sure on what you want, because once you say yes, I'm holding you to it. She laughed, although the tears were present too then. Yes, a million yeses. I love you, you wonderful man. The two, both with silly grins on their faces, gazed adoringly at each other, Draco, his hand still touching Hermione's cheek, and she with her arms around his neck. Finally, Hermione said, Well, don't you think you should kiss me? And Draco showed that he could take direction very well. When the occasion called for it, he kissed her until she was breathless, and when Hermione suggested they finish their celebrations in the bedroom, his earlier protests about having to stay in bed were immediately forgotten. He was up and off the sofa with a speed that was astonishing, considering his recent ordeal. Grabbing his walker, he said, Race you there, Granger. 
Several celebrations later, Hermione and Draco were exhausted, cocooned in each other's arms. It was then that he asked her about the conversation she'd had with his mother. She told me she came to see you, Draco. Did she explain to you why she said what she did to you? He frowned. No. There was something he'd wondered about. His mother's obvious distress and concern about Hermione. When had she started caring about Muggleborns? Your mother has been under a life debt since her school days at Hogwarts. She told me Bellatrix had wanted your father and his fortune, but he'd spurned her, preferring your mom. Of course, you know how crazy your aunt was. Sorry, but she was Draco. I'm not disputing you, love. I'm beginning to wonder if my whole family's that way. It wouldn't be surprising, considering all the inbreeding purebloods do, which our marriage will correct with at least my line. Hermione smiled and gave his chest an Eskimo kiss, snuggling close. Well, anyway, your mother said your aunt was unhinged, even as a child. When Bellatrix found out Lucius didn't want her, she became enraged, so much so, so that she cast a dismemberment charm at your mother at a dinner party between the two families. Your father deflected it, but was badly wounded in the process. Draco wondered if that was why his father had always carried a cane. He thought it was a tactic to appear more intimidating, but perhaps Lucius had needed it more than he'd let on. Your mother's parents begged the Malfoys not to press charges. They agreed on one condition, that the marriage contract be modified to make it between Lucius and Narcissa, which pleased your father greatly. The blacks couldn't refuse. Because of the life debt she now owed, your mother couldn't object even though she'd been dating someone else. She married your father and was forced to give in to his desires ever since. The only bright spot was when you were born. Draco stayed quiet during Hermione's explanation, hugging her more tightly to himself when she went into the more and savory bits of his mother's enslavement. Why, that, that, he sees words failing him. There wasn't enough, st strong enough expletive to describe his father after hearing the things his mother had suffered. Hermione privately agreed, but only said, that's why your mother couldn't protect you like she wanted. Keeping you safe from Voldemort went against your father's wishes. He wanted you to follow in his footsteps. And when I no longer did, he wanted me dead. Trickle was quiet for a moment, then he asked, Did she think I would do that to you? Force you into things you didn't want? Hermione gave him a small, sad smile. Each of us has light and dark within us. I'm sure your father didn't start out as evil, but he'd been given too much power over another, and as the saying goes, power corrupts. I think your mother was afraid it was a possibility. Draco huffed, offended at the idea, but deep down, he sort of understood. Anyhow, that doesn't apply to us. I know what I've got. Oh, what is that, Granger? The love I've always wanted. Draco rolled his eyes, but was secretly pleased. You've always wanted someone with a disability? 
Well, unless I want to marry a Martian or some kind of extraterrestrial, I'm sort of stuck with the options here. Seeing his puzzled look, she stroked his bangs away from his face. We're all disabled, Draco. We're all broken somehow or another. Perfection doesn't exist. So I think the trick is to find someone who's whole in the places we're not. He didn't comment. Really rested his cheek against her hair. They stayed that way for a few minutes. Hermione began to get sleepy. Draco finally broke the silence. Granger? Hmm? Let's marry soon, he said. Unless you see a point in waiting. She wiggled closer and planted a kiss on the underside of his jaw. What were you thinking? He grinned devilishly. Halloween. Draco, it's barely a month away. It's five weeks away. I've seen Mother plan large galas in less time. But my witch isn't the bridezilla type, so I'm sure Mother could handle whatever we asked her to do. You know about bridezillas? How quickly you forget. Remember that show you made me watch? You're not wanting something like that, are you? Hermione shuddered. A big fancy wedding was most definitely not what she wanted. Draco softly began to press kisses on her face before he moved down to her neck. Coercion, that's what this is, sneaky little snake, she thought, even while tilting her head to give him better access. Think, love, small, intimate wedding, family and friends, lots of love and laughter, no beetle reporters or supremacist society snobs. Hermione laughed, turning her head. She saw that mischievous smirk she loved so much on his face. Now how can you say no to that, please? She sighed. It was hard to refuse him when he was being so adorable. Besides, they were basically living as man and wife as it was. Was there really a reason to wait? Chapter 6, Epilogue Despite Draco's enthusiasm, his marriage to Hermione was delayed, mainly due to Healer Robin strongly advising the couple to wait. Draco's health, already compromised by the curse, needed additional time to fully recover from the trauma his father had inflicted upon it. His father. Lucius was an Azkaban, awaiting his sentence. The ministry was doing just as Draco predicted. They were going to make his father as an example. Draco hated the thought of a big production, hated the thought that the ministry would sensationalize the taking of a man's soul. Mostly, he hated the fact that he still cared. He knew Lucius didn't deserve his regard, but he couldn't help it. A son's devotion to a father ran deep, yet in a strange, sick way, he felt relieved. The perpetual shadow he'd been born under would finally be gone, still for his own peace of mind, he decided to go see Lucius one last time. He didn't know why. Maybe he needed closure. Oh, hon, are you sure? You don't have to do this, Hermione said, her eyes filled with concern when he told her of his plans. Yes, I do. He owes me that. He turned to Harry, sitting at their table. You'll arrange it for me? Harry nodded. I'll do more than that. I'll go with you, too. 
Draco gave his former enemy a quick nod. Thanks, mate. Mind you, I don't I don't know what he might say. Doesn't matter. That's all he can do. Sorry? I mean talk, I mean, Harry explained. Words are the only weapons he has left. Hermione bit her lip, not comforted by Harry's statement. Words were powerful. They could lift the spirits or cut a soul to ribbons. She looked worriedly at her fiancé. Draco would be incredibly vulnerable. The day before he was to go to Azkaban, Draco went to see his mother. She, like Hermione, worried it might do more harm than good. What's to be gained by it, she questioned. Better to just let him go. Draco shook his head stubbornly. No, that's too easy. I want him to look me in the eye and tell me why I was never good enough, why his beliefs meant more to him than his own son. Narcissa sighed, rubbing a finger against her temple. Your father, it's complicated the way he reasoned things, but I know he loved you once, darling, she said softly. He loved me too, once. Draco huffed out of breath, frustrated. Then what happened? What changed him? And don't say the dark word. I'm tired of that excuse. Narcissa paused. Your father didn't change. You did. That's what happened. And it terrified him. Draco's face twisted into a mocking sneer. I see. A powerful wizard was so scared of his son, he decided to kill him. Yes, that makes perfect sense. Narcissa's cheeks burned red. A lifetime of defending her husband was a hard habit to break. She watched as Draco struggled to get up from her plush sofa, and when he was finally able to stand, he grabbed his walker for balance. Well, if that's the way he wants it, then so be it. Maybe he'll be a, maybe he'll be bloody well trembling once I'm done with him tomorrow. Narcissa cut Draco's arm. Vengeance isn't the answer, son. He shook off her hand. I don't want vengeance. I want a confession. He needs to acknowledge his wrongs while he still has the chance, he uttered before disapparating, walker and all. The next day, Draco and Harry returned early from their visit to the prison. Hermione and Narcissa were both waiting at the cottage when they walked in. Both witches looked at each other, apprehension in their faces. One look at Draco told them it had not gone well. Love, Hermione said hesitantly. You okay? Draco didn't respond. Narcissa gazed uneasily at her son, then turned to the boy who lived. Mr. Potter, did my husband... Hermione... Sh Harry shook his head, clearly troubled. He didn't do anything, Mrs. Malfoy. His eyes darted wordly at Draco. Then what? She began to ask before Draco interrupted her. He didn't say anything because he couldn't, he spit out, Angie, angry tears shining in his eyes. They've already done it, Mom. He's gone. Narcissa's face lost what little color it had. Good God, Harry. Mr. Malfoy's been kissed. He turned around and nodded at Hermione. Yeah. Turns out they did it right after he was taken to Azkaban. But... The paper said they were going to make it a big event, the final Death Eater to be kissed, Narcissa argued, quoting the headlines. There was a ploy by the Wizengamot to satisfy the public. 
They were going to release photos of the kiss as it happened. I think they were trying to repair their reputation, actually, but Kingsley wasn't in favor of the courts using a man's execution as a publicity stunt to better their image. So this was his solution. He figured no one would ever know the difference. Except for me, Narcissa murmured to herself. Ma'am? Harry asked. She looked guiltily at her son. I knew I'd felt better since his arrest. I thought it was because of the distance separating us or because of the wards around the prison or keeping his magic from reaching me. But now, I suppose it was because I'd been freed from the life debt. Harry looked at Hermione confusion in his eyes, but she shook her head. She would explain it all to him later. She needed to take care of Draco now. She looked at her fiancé. Draco looked lost, torn between anger and heartbreak, communicating with Harry in the silent way they developed during the war she got him to escort Narcissa home. Once they were gone, she led Draco to their bathroom and began to fill the tub. She added aromatic salts to the warm water and wadlessly cast a spell that would make the waters churn to better massage his tight muscles. She turned and undressed Draco and helped him in the tub. Discarding her garments, she followed after, resting between his legs with her back to his chest. Then she waited. Draco said nothing at first, but soon his hands crept around her waist and pulled her tightly against him. A couple of moments later, Draco... Hermione heard a sniff and then a choked, a choked cry. Draco buried his face in her abundant hair and began to sob his body shaking from the onslaught. Hermione's tender heart broke at the sound of it. The hurt little boy inside Draco could no longer be suppressed. He needed to mourn for his father, for his one-time idol. He needed to grieve for the loss of his innocence. His hero had turned out to be his tormentor, and if Hermione had not found him in time, his killer. She wisely said nothing, but continued to comfort as she could. She caressed his arms, she massaged his thighs, lifting his hands to her face. She left kisses on both of his palms, and when she felt his tears subsiding, she turned in his arms and began to tenderly wash him, and as before in the shower, she made her move slow and unhurried. Only this time, she had no hesitancy with touching any part of his body. He was familiar now, every part of him beloved. Draco closed his eyes, red-rimmed from the emotional outburst, and let the love of his life minister to him. Every brush of her hands was deeply intimate, though, though not necessarily sexual. It went deeper than that. Hermione was releasing her love through the magic of touch. It was an act of healing. Draco's soul was being cleansed of every hurt, every disappointment, every pain he'd ever felt in connection with his father. It was the heavy weight of darkness that was being washed off layer by layer. After she finished, she took him in his she took him he took her in his arms and kissed her, despite his need for his other half consuming him. Hermione must have felt the same way, for with a twirl of her wrist her magic carried them to their bed. There Draco gave himself to her, as if it were the first time they had ever made love. He never felt so exposed or raw before, yet he'd never felt so clean. Hermione immediately felt the difference. I love you, 
he whispered repeatedly as he worshipped every inch of her body. I know, was her last coherent thought for a while. They married on the American holiday of Thanksgiving. Draco felt it quite appropriate. Indeed, he felt American himself that day, for he knew he had much to be thankful for. Healer Robbins had told him as much. He recalled their conversation when the older wizard had advised them to wait. That pretty little witch of yours isn't going anywhere, if that's what you're worried about. Her feelings are very evident. The comet mollified Draco. He knew Healer Robbins had spoken the truth. He knew for a fact Hermione loved him. He felt it every day, her quiet strength, buoying, um, carrying him when his doubts assailed, when his body betrayed him, when fears told him her feelings couldn't last. He proved his thoughts were lies, and before she proved his thoughts were lies, and before long they began to lose their power over the former Slytherin. They chose to be married at midday, the time when the light reigns supreme, in front of the rowan tree by the lake. The magics of the tree planted so many years ago by Draco's grandmother played a great part in the ceremony. They had opted for a magical bonding, complete with the marriage marks in lieu of rings. They did not stand for their wedding. Draco had not wanted his walker to have any place in their ceremony. Instead, they sat facing each other on a flying carpet, the only one in existence in Britain, a gift to Kingsley from a former wizarding ambassador of Egypt. Levitating high enough so that all in attendance could see them, they spoke their vows of love and faithfulness. When it came time to receive their mark, the magic trapped tapped into a deeper primal magic of the nearby tree, its power swirling around them in a cloud of autumn leaves, causing the lake to momentarily ripple as if a wake of a boat had come ashore. Then they felt a sharp piercing in the area around their heart, next a heavy pull, not unpleasant but not painful, not pleasant but not painful, moved slowly from their heart down their left arm. They watched in amazement as colorful swirls and patterns emerged on their skin. Draco's dark mark shrank from the vibrant colors as if in fright and began to recede, slowly at first until it finally vanished. His eyes grew heavy with unshed tears. He knew what it meant. Darkness could no longer live in him due to his eternal commitment to the witch who would forever be his wife. Finally, they felt a slight sting on their ring finger, and saw that one last swirl, this one golden, encircled where a wedding band would have gone. Love, do you recognize our rune? Draco asked, barely breathing at the wonder of the redemptive magic etched on his skin. Hermione nodded, stunned. Their marriage mark was the symbol for rebirth. The first year of marriage found or Draco and Hermione, leading idyllic, leading an idyllic existence. Together they worked on potions to help Draco function more normally. Some of them were so effective they sent them to Healer Robbins for him to try on other patients. He had such encouraging results, St. Mungo's spell damage department began to regularly send orders for the potions. In their spare time, they studied at home for their newts, and it was a surprise to no one when they both passed with O's. Then in July, right before his birthday, Draco came down with what they thought was a summer cold. But it quickly turned into pneumonia, and soon he developed sepsis. 
There was a week Hermione could have never talked about, but afterwards. Healers had said he was beyond their skill. They told her to prepare for the inevitable, but somehow Draco rallied. His recovery astonished everyone later, after the danger had passed. Harry jokingly told him that he was more cat than snake, because he apparently had nine lives. Well, only six more now, Harry teased. But he was almost as relieved as Hermione that Draco had once again defeated the odds. His last brush with death had been a turning point for his wife. Hermione couldn't go through almost losing him again. She began to take him to see muggle doctors. He thought she was going overboard, but she wouldn't budge. Healers are fine, Draco, but they don't have the technological advantages doctors have. It turned out to be the best thing to ever happen to Draco. They found an excellent internist who helped them form a network of physicians dedicated to his care, including an infectious diseases expert, an orthopedic specialist, and a physical therapist who created a regimen for Draco that improved his health and strength and flexibility. Different medications ceased the tremors and kept the fevers from returning. By the time Hermione gave birth to their first child two years later, Draco was walking with only an occasional need for an aid. The walker had been permanently retired. When Scorpius was three years old, Draco could carry him easily. Papa, why you's got to stick? Scorpius asked one evening when Draco was tired and needed his cane after an especially grueling workout earlier that day with his therapist. Draco patted the curly blonde head. You mean when I walk? Uh-huh. Mommy don't have the sticks and Grandma neither. Come here, son. Draco laid it, lifted the tot to his lap. Scorpius looked up expectantly at his father. He was unusually striking, blissed with the hair coloring of his father while having the rosy complexion of his mother. Even at his early age, he quite got the attention whenever they took him to Diagon Alley. Long ago, your papa got hexed by a nasty old curse and it made me very sick, but I'm better now. Scorpius reacted in the typical way of a child. He let out a soft gasp of sympathy, then immediately tried to relate in the only way he could. Jamie hit me once, and it hurt me bad, but I hit him back, and I felt better. <laughs> Draco choked down a laugh. Don't let your mother or Uncle Harry hear about you hitting Jamie, or the t or into the time, or into the time out corner you'll go. He said, although Draco was secretly tickled at his son. The <laughs> Although Draco was secretly tickled that the son of Harry Potter got his comeuppance for once, the mischief that child got into could put the Weasley twins to shame. What are you and Scorpius talking about? Hermione's voice trilled from the kitchen where she was putting the finishing touches on a cake she baked for Narcissa's birthday. Draco put a finger to his lips. Scorpius nodded, grinning, grinning in conspiracy. Nothing, love. We're just swapping stories, is all. Draco, you better not be telling your son any of those stories about you and Theo. Your mom told me all about your shenanigans. You are horrid little devils. My baby's an angel. I don't want you to be putting any ideas into his head. Draco winked at Scorpius. He giggled and placed his chubby fingers around his neck. She's not horrid, he murmured, placing a sweet, wet kiss on Draco's cheek. I love you, Papa. Draco hugged him back. I love you too, my son. And unlike his own father, 
it would always be true. Alright, so that was the end of the story, and I think it is important to read this final author's note. Um, and I mentioned as we began this story that this writer is dealing with a very serious medical circumstance with her, her husband, her best friend, her hero, and um, so certainly, you know, all my my wishes for health and comfort and strength are, are going out, you know, to, to, I'm so sorry, to, to Trinka's me and, um, and to her husband, and I would like to request as well that, you know, of course, our readers and listeners, readers who contribute and listeners who follow this podcast, um, please keep Trinka's me in your thoughts, um, you know, as, Send her your good wishes and, and your good karma. Um, her note, Arthur's note. My husband was the inspiration for this story. The pain, the struggling, the despair, the frustration, the always being cold, the learning new ways to do things, the humor, the love. He fights every day to overcome his disabilities and failing health. In spite of him thinking he's less of a man than he was before, I've never admired him more. Come what may, he is my hero, and he always will be. And with that, we're going to take a um, quick break. And when we come back, we'll do a commentary on this really wonderful story. So... I will be back in just a moment. Stay tuned. Hi, and welcome to Sepa Stories. All right, so if uh, you are joining us again, and, and I hope you are, we have just completed Trinka's Me's story, Life Debt, and we are getting ready to uh, progress into the commentary of this particular episode. Uh, this episode has been much longer than what we have normally been recording, mainly due to the size of the story, so I'm glad that you have listened in with us. If you are wanting to skip the commentary and go on to our next story, now would be the time to do that. And thank you for listening to Life Debt and... You know, we appreciate that very much. We appreciate you as a listener. So, um, let's go on with our commentary. Trinkas me, thank you so, so much for allowing me to read this really wonderful and long uh, piece of fan fiction. I normally read shorter pieces, but sometimes I like reading a fan fiction story that is chapters long, and I've seen them where they're hundreds of chapters long, and you know these, there's, they become these big sweeping epics of stories. Okay, so where do I begin? There are so many wonderful things happening in this story. I love life debt. Um, the the subject, um, or rather the sentence or or the title. Let me try this again. The title for for the story is basically telling you what the whole piece of fan fiction is about. It is about incurring a life debt, and I thought that this was really beautiful. Um, 
I enjoyed how the story began with the Battle of Hogwarts and Draco making an impulsive decision to save Hermione Granger as she is battling Draco's father Lucius in in the battle. And, you know, she's trying to hold her own, but Draco knows that she won't be able to survive um, his father's wizarding attack. So he blocks, he being Draco, ends up blocking a really deadly curse from hitting Hermione. So I love how this story really explores Draco. And it's not canon uh, what's happening in the story, but it doesn't have to be. You know, this is fan fiction, so we have a continuation of life after the Battle of Hogwarts where it's not really following our central characters. This is exploring um, Draco's sacrifice for Hermione and attempting to rescue her from his father and taking the head of, of the curse. So that's really the substance of the story. And as we progress through Draco's care and recovery from the curse, it really should have killed him, um, we start to see how Hermione and Draco come together. And as we progress in the story, the theme that starts to come up is that when Draco saves Hermione that she now owes him a magical life debt you know that she now has to pay back or has an obligation to pay uh, Draco back magically a life debt because he saved her life and because of the life debt the life debt is acting in a magical way to or as as a compulsion maybe in the way that an imperious would without it being as controlling or maybe um maybe a potion you know that would make her act in a certain way this is a magical bond that is influencing her thoughts um that we know that she you know we, since she has the the life debt that the life debt should be influencing her thoughts to do whatever Draco wants. So it makes her compliant to his will and to his wishes. Excuse me, I'm so sorry. I thought that was an interesting point. And I liked that you have him falling in love with her and she starts to fall in love with him and he's no longer the bigoted Death Eater that we know from the canon stories. This is a recovering Draco who is not sure why he feels what he feels for Hermione, but he does, and he's starting to fall in love with her because she is accepting him when he is now no longer considered to be a whole and healthy wizard. So I kind of, I really enjoyed the exploration or the substance of having Draco be considered less than a pure-blood wizard or less than excellent because of the disability that he's having that there is a very definite prejudice against this in the wizarding world and because of this you know he feels like his parents don't accept him that his mother's not looking for a wife for him that his life is uh, changed in a way that he can't function as he has before and here comes Hermione 
and she kind of saves him from himself and she becomes a support for him. So I liked her role in this story because I thought it was believable. You know, we know that Hermione is probably one of the most giving characters in the book series, uh, in the actual canon. We know a lot about her character when she tries to help Hagrid, you know, of course, save Buckbeak, when she does research for Harry, when she stays up late trying to, you know, to take care of him when everyone's abandoned Harry and he has no friends uh, during Goblet of Fire, you know, Hermione stands by his side. Ron leaves them, Hermione's there, so we know that Hermione's character is loyal and faithful and, you know, once she commits, you know, she's fully in. And this story captures her character wonderfully. You know, it really displays and, and adds in a very believable way to what the canon had in Rowling's books. You know, it, it's a, a believable character. Draco's um, development is very different from the book Draco that we know from the Harry Potter series. And I like this version of Draco. I think he's sympathetic. I think that, you know, he, he, has, he has now been afflicted with this curse that has made him disabled and you know we have validation from the healer oh it's a shame you know from healer robbins you know saying what is it handicapped and and i i enjoyed the almost the stigma or prejudice that the wizarding world is throwing on this that draco is still trying to overcome this on his own and with Hermione's support, you know, he realizes that, you know, this witch that, that he has had a problem with or had been really mean to, you know, and been really terrible to, that, you know, that she is there for him when no one else is. Then we start to find out, um, as the story is unfolding, that he is assuming that Hermione's actions and affection towards him comes from the life debt and he feels terrible because he feels like he's taking advantage of her so I thought I thought the shower scene which is where we start to see them have a physical relationship I thought that was funny I loved the dialogue <laughs> you know like he drops the soap don't drop the soap he drops the soap and then he slips and falls down and him getting hurt is not funny but the banter of you know like he wants a bath and it's it's humorous and it's flirty and it's sexy and you know you're you kind of you're we're kind of exploring all of these feelings and this embarrassment you know like she's I like that this Hermione um, in the story is a virgin and you know it, it works for the story that she um, is really very innocent and so you know, she's in the shower with Draco, and he's like, are you going to help me get clean? And, and it is flirty and mischievous, but at the same time, he really needs her help. And, you know, she's really trying to to not dive into her her emotions of wanting to be physical with him. You know, she is really actually trying, like she's saying to herself, many witches do this all the time. <laughs> she's really trying to hold herself back. And, 
you know, just their banter. And, and of course, you know, his physical response to her handling him, I thought was really kind of humorous. And, and it was fun to read. I was like, I'm embarrassed reading this. <laughs> because, you know, it, it is an intimate, you know, um, it, it becomes explicit, but not overly so. Um, I've mentioned in reading fanfics before, you read some fanfictions, and sometimes uh, written sexual scenes are so over the top that they're, you know, they are what they are in the story, and maybe they support a story in a particular way, or they're used as a device for a particular piece of, of fan fiction. Sometimes you do have stories that are just, it's just smut for no purpose. And, you know, the writer is telling you that in the description. You know, this is like, you know, just lemons or, or whatever. But that's not what this is. While they are having a physical relationship, I thought that the writing and the description worked well. I didn't have to hear about intimate body parts. And, you know, I didn't have to wear, you know, to read about... You didn't have to hear um, about about it being super explicit. You know, it was written in a way that it was really erotic. I thought that the writing was wonderfully erotic, but without being over the top. So it, it worked for me. Um, I guess some people might call that vanilla, and that's fine because the story was not about sex. The story is about their relationship and how he has Draco is developing such regard for Hermione that you know he wants to marry her so I, I thought it was I thought that was well written and it wasn't just fluff in there in a way that it 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 was unnecessary it worked and you know then after like their initial together um like their initial passion with each other, you know, then, then it's more, you get description, but without, you know, really seeing anything, it's like, you got the PG-13 version, so, so that's good, as opposed to the triple X, which is great, um, I thought that Lucius Malfoy walking in on them, you know, and there is Hermione standing in a transparent dress, because she's trying to help Draco in the shower, and he's naked, and excited <laughs> and here comes Lucius Malfoy and he is as bigoted and angry as ever and accuses Draco of having um of you know of, of the, his whole relationship with Hermione being sullied and you know it cheapens in, in Lucius's eyes their relationship is a cheapened thing and Draco's that's that's not what this is at all so I thought that Lucius walking in was a really I thought that it was it was really well done it was uncomfortable and you're like oh it's gonna happen you know like you have that moment of oh it's gonna happen or Oh, no, he didn't. Yeah, he did. He was right there. And they're, they're fighting. And, you know, she's embarrassed. So, and then, of course, you have the, you have Narcissa. You know, because, of course, Lucius does, you know, go get banished and has to walk seven miles back with no magic. <laughs> I thought that was great. Uh, through, through vines with thorns. And, you know, he does tell Narcissa. Narcissa goes the next day to tell Draco, you know, not so much like I care about you, Draco, but I care about 
what you're doing to Hermione and he's wondering why. Why do you suddenly care about Muggleborns? And then we get this backstory of, you know, that Narcissa is aware of the life debt and she's sensitive to it. And it already starts to foreshadow, you know, a side story within this one of, of Narcissa and why she asks Draco to release Hermione um, from from the life debt because she she thinks that Hermione is under a compulsion to be with her son and it's a hurtful conversation that she has with him like what which would would you know would want to be with you when you're not full you're not you're not a, not a whole man not a whole wizard and so again you know it really brings to the forefront the prejudices that are evident in the wizarding world to anyone that's other or different or um, what they consider to be less than which of course we know that no person is less than and has a disability I think people who deal with disabilities and things um, of that nature are more than because they're having to do everything harder than everyone else and be successful at it so um, that's my personal take on that but I, I enjoyed how the device worked in the story I like that Hermione is just a good person and there's a lot of description you know everything is incredibly visual on a technical writing side a technically writing it's perfect um, I didn't see any problems with punctuation in the story it made it really easy for me to read as the story is unfolding and the language being used it was just pretty um, I like that word a lot <laughs> it, it was well written and I enjoyed the care to detail, you know, like she's bringing muggle appliances in. So there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of detail. Um, you have really great dialogue written and it reads well, but you also have just as much description too. So it, it works together in a really nice tandem. I, again, my favorite scene in this whole thing is, you know, of course, he, he drops his towel, and she's trying to give him his dignity back, and she's trying to wash his hair, and then the towel falls again. and <laughs> So, you know, that, that whole scene works. And then, of course, you've got Lucius, and then you've got Narcissa coming to say you've got to release her from the life debt. And I really like these extra elements that are being, you know, created. I thought that it was true to form for Lucius Malfoy that, you know, he wasn't going to change in his viewpoints that he would attack Draco. Um, now in the canon we know that he and Narcissa are he's actually at Hogwarts with no wand looking for Draco to just get his family out of that situation so um, Delicious Malfoy I think in the Harry Potter books is I think more sympathetic in the canon than he is here. Here um, this writer you know Trick as Me has kept Trinkism has kept uh, Lucius Malfoy as still retaining his beliefs and violently defending his beliefs. You know, they're wrong, but he is still willing to make bad choices for them. So, you know, he ends up attacking Draco and almost kills Draco. And this incurs a life debt that Draco owes now to Hermione and saving his life. Um, he now owes her a life death, so that basically cancels it. And then I like this big revelation 
it's almost like a Scooby moment where you find out a backstory with Bellatrix and Narcissa and Lucius what had happened and I like the well Draco you know is mentioning that his father always walked with the cane and and why was that and now we kind of think from this story that he had stepped in front of a dismemberment charm to protect Narcissa that Bellatrix you know had had thrown her way because of course Bellatrix has always been unhinged and you know of course now it's very attractive to have Narcissa instead of Bellatrix you know uh, be the wife Narcissa is the wife because now Lucius knows that he has a compulsion that he can control Narcissa with and that's you know what keeps her from um, being able to defend Draco as Lucius starts to really travel down dark paths following Voldemort. So I really like these explanations. It adds a fullness and richness to the story. I like that Harry and Draco bury the hatchet, but Ron doesn't. So, you know, Ron is really not ready to forgive Draco at all. And Harry, I think because of Hermione, um, is the more nurturing personality, you know, bringing Draco a special broom that he can ride and taking Draco for a broom ride, you know, when he taking him out and, and doing these things and being a friend and asking to be stationed outside the door when when it is discovered, you know, that he's been attacked, that Draco has been attacked. I liked that Harry is actually in support of Hermione and has buried the hatchet with Draco and that, you know, a friendship is possible between them. I liked that development. And I think Narcissa sums it beautifully when she's trying to talk about, you know, Draco wants to go see his father to ask why, you know, why is he the way he is, that he wants a confession. And Narcissa basically says to him that, you know, that Lucius never changed, but that Draco did, and that it terrified his father, you know, that Draco wasn't, that it wasn't Lucius that changed, that, you know, Lucius didn't act in any other way than what he was, it was Draco that changed. And so I, I liked that she says this, and it's poignant, you know, because it shows his development from what he was to what he becomes. All right, so I loved all of that. I thought that Lucius receiving the kiss, you know, when they immediately arrest him and then the ministry trying to cover it up and, you know, trying to spin that to their benefit, I found that believable too because we know that the, the ministry is, is swarmy <laughs> in the Harry Potter universe. You know, they're, they're not always held to the, to the standard they should be. I think with Kingsley at the helmet it gets better and then of course um, you know we have Hermione later but this aspect we never see Hermione go to work um, Hermione just immediately kind of moves in with Draco but you never hear in the story that Hermione is doing anything other than taking care of Draco and it is assumed that she is this devoted because of the compulsion and then we come to find out that, you know, there at the end of the day, there was no compulsion. In fact, I think Draco would have had more compulsion for her than, um, than, than otherwise. So I liked how it tied 
tied up and how it read. When I read this story, like I said, this is a really long piece and, and you've listened to it as I've read it out loud, but when I read it the first time, I really took my time with it and read it over some hours. And I really liked this so much. You know, I, I enjoyed, I thought that, you know, they went to go and talk to, to Lucius Malfoy and he'd already been, you know, executed. I'm like, oh, that's, that's, that's crazy. And so there were a lot of fun surprises. I liked the wedding ceremony. And I thought that Scorpius was really cute too, you know, as, as a character. So, you know, that they're having children, that, that life is going on. So I thoroughly enjoyed reading this. You know, it it had sexy moments and but they weren't over the top. And I liked that Draco wanted to be with Hermione, not just, you know, out of out of lust, but with intent to marry and really an intent to marry because she really Hermione really wants to make sure she releases Draco from any life debt compulsion as well. So that, you know, she knows for a fact that they're together because they really want to be together. And I thought at the end, that makes this particular fan fiction story incredibly sweet and endearing. And it shows how you can care and love a person, you know, so very much. And, you know, she's just right there for him. So I thought this was a very loving story. And I... I thought it had great humor and levity in it and you know he struggles a lot you know at the end he does you know start to get better and he accepts her diversity of being a muggle-born by even accepting not just appliances and in easy things like that um, he believes in Hermione and her heritage enough to try muggle medicine and you can tell, you know, from reading the story that the author, you know, has has some experience with this. That, that comes through in the writing and makes those pieces, you know, very believable. So Trinkas Me, thank you again for allowing me to read your story and um, I know you probably just got an email and that's normally what happens. I'll read a piece of fan fiction and if it hits me in a certain way or, you know, I think I've mentioned this before, if it just stands out and it feels substantial and I'm thinking about it after I've read it, you know, I'll come back to it. And in fact, this particular writer, I was reading other fan fictions and I can tell this writer's reading uh, writing style already because I started reading one and then I'm like, oh, who is this writer? And it's the same writer and it's a different piece. So you'll want to check out the stories this author has written. She writes really nice, well, I'm saying she, well, we know that, um, but this particular writer writes some amazing pieces of fan fiction. And I would very much, you know, suggest and recommend checking out her other stories if you liked this one. Um, I think they're going to be really great. Now, I don't know how frequently this writer will be reading um, going forward, but check out what's out there already. And let's so show some love for Trink Is Me. And, you know, if you read Life Debt, 
leave her a positive comment, you know, and definitely I'm sending my prayers and good karma your direction. So with that, thank you. This was a really long podcast, but I think worth every moment. I really enjoyed reading this. Any stumbling that happened in the reading was entirely my fault, and I do apologize for that. Um, I promised that I would get this up and ready to go by Sunday. I wanted to make this happen for Sunday. And um, it was important to me to have this. You know, I, I think I reached out to this writer just a couple of days ago and it was really critical and crucial that I have this ready to go by tomorrow for this writer so um, if there's any stumbling that was not on the part of the writer that was on mine and I do apologize for that this is very well written no misspellings punctuation was great layout was clean and it read wonderfully so please check out this writer and we will see you next time on Seppa Stories. So if you like me, give me a follow. Um, share me. Tell your friends. <laughs> find me on Spotify. Find me on Apple iTunes. We're on Tumblr too. And I'm posting things pretty much everywhere. I am starting to get a lot of communication back. And for those of you who are sponsoring um, this podcast by personal donation, thank you for that. That was an unexpected gift and blessing and I appreciate that uh, what I will be using sponsorship for is I actually print these stories out so I can read them and then um, you know I have them available in case you know I ever need to reread them or whatever I've got I've got the hard copy um, so that you know I'm able to do these podcasts so that will help to fray those expenses and so thank you for that it was really generous of you in and um I <laughs> that's awesome I can't tell you what that means to me bringing these stories to you is what this is all about all right thank you um you, you, you made my heart swell <laughs> and we will see you next time on Sepha Stories so wherever you're at have a good one, and we'll see you next time. I do have another story for you, and we'll be posting that one up tomorrow. Take care. See you next time.